Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Dub Talk TV. Today, we've reached the third episode of our illustrious classic season. I am the hero, Classy Spartan. Before we jump right into the action, I have but a few words for you, the beautiful viewers out there. <clears throat> Warning. Dub Talk TV may contain language and content that may not be suitable for younger viewers. Listener discretion is advised. Also, this episode will contain spoilers for the show in question, so do keep that in mind if you have not yet watched the entire thing. This is a full series review, so please keep this in mind before watching. Also, the opinions expressed are that of the individual participants of tonight's episode and do not reflect the views of the Dub Talk TV series as a whole. And finally, we would like to take a moment to highlight some of our favorite sponsors for making tonight's show possible, including, but not limited to, Viz Media, Sunrise, Milf and Cookies, Carl's J Oh, hang on a second. Um, what's that? Oh, really? Wait, what? Oh, what am I supposed to do? Oh, okay. Sure. <clears throat> Hang on a second. I've just received a word that our sponsorships cannot be shown because we will be appearing on Netflix, so our sponsorships will be removed from our uniforms. How odd. But enough about that. <clears throat> Time to get that heroic spirit into high gear, get those next powers flowing, and get all those pretty, pretty spandex boys into top form as Dub Talk TV takes us to Tiger and Bunny. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Dev Talk, where a group of costume heroes come together to show giant corporations and talk about anime dubs. My name is Jet, and tonight I'm joined by Roots. Sponsored by Eagle's Head Alcohol. <laughs> I hope that's I not saw, an actual brand name. I saw I saw the freaking Umaro blooper that Jamal Jamal put together with your mini commercial, and it's priceless, by the way. Uh, yeah, and sponsored by... What do I have that I can be sponsored by here? Uh... Sponsored by Anime, the best sponsor in the world. <laughs> okay, and... I am the classy Spartan, and oh, I am Lord. here to show the world about when you're feeling tired, you can drink a nice, refreshing Red Bull. Because it gives me wings every time I fly into the heat of battle. How dare you interrupt our host, you son of a bitch! How and, dare uh, you! Every time you mention that name. <laughs> every time How? you mention the name, mention like a nickel flies into your bank account. <laughs> yes, it, yes, yes it does. We're not actually okay, sponsored. We are not. We are Full no way sponsored by anything. Yes, we, we we have we have no. We have sponsors. no sponsors. We we not we don't want any corporations coming after us, please. Give us money, please, companies. <laughs> like like Be I don't money. mind being, I don't mind being sponsored, but I don't want to be harassed for illegal sponsorships because we're not sponsored by anything. We're only sponsored by our own idiocy, ladies and gentlemen. 
right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the reason why we're all chilling corporations here is because tonight we're going back in time. Before there were hero academias. Before there were bald guys and capes punching everything in one punch. And before we had gay figure skaters. <laughs> to an age where instead we I had... Like, <laughs> I like the connection. We go on the superhero path and then we end with Yuri on Ice, which is in no way involving superheroes. Let the, I love that progression let, right there. Let the man finish his A segment. I'm sorry, I had to laugh. Okay, and so instead of those things, we are here to instead talk about a superhero romance. Yes, we are here to talk about the dub for the hit Sunrise series, Tiger and Bunny. The ambiguously gay duo. The ambiguously <laughs> gay <laughs> duo. The superhero bromance. Superhero Dude, bromance. Bro. That is the best Chilling way. That is the best way. Surprise, ladies. Surprise, ladies and gentlemen. You've... No, no, no. Surprise, folks. You thought there was a regular Dub Talk episode, but it is I, Dub Talk Classics. Oh, yes. Um, so how, how do cl- Dub Talk Classics work again, Jet? That's right. Uh, yes. So instead of doing predictions or any of that stuff, we're just going straight down the cast members, um, all the uh, directors, script writers, that sort of thing, and just getting our general thoughts. Not to mention um, uh, the fact that for classics, several of us have never seen this show before, and the host is the one most familiar with this. Exactly. Yes, yes, indeedy. So, Andrew and Lilac have never seen this show before. Nope. Roots, okay, and Roots has, like, a passing knowledge of this show. Yeah, I, I watched, like, the first half of a dub back when Neon Alley was a thing. And then the second Alley. half, I finally got to when... Of all people, Netflix got it, which was literally <laughs> a week before this episode was recorded. You're right. I forgot about that. No, for me, it, my story's funny. So a couple of years ago, we decided to do this thing called a dub exchange where we were ex- like an anime exchange of some kinds. So we were like we were giving each other shows to watch. Jet gave me Tiger and Bunny, and I never watched it until now for this specific episode. And Jet, I'm imagining you're very proud that I finally watched it. <laughs> yes, it's a, yes, it's a, yes. Some, some might say this whole dumb classic thing with all the poor decay is just my friend because I'm like to watch the show. <laughs> I mean, let's I be honest here. Like, every, the, all the dub talk classic episodes we've all picked were basically from that list. So... <laughs> Pretty much, actually, because I know when when Jet was like, "I want to do a Dub Talk Classics episode for Tiger and Bunny." Steph, make sure you're signed up. What? It's like no, nobody <laughs> was fighting it. This was this was Jet's baby. This is Jet's baby. I'm excited to get into this. Yes. Yep. Okay. So for those unfamiliar with this series, because it has been a long while at this point, a while, yeah. uh, Tiger and Bunny takes place in a world where superhumans notice next come together to fight crime as heroes on a show known as Hero TV. Kotetsu Kaburagi, a.k.a. Wild Tiger, is a down-on-his-luck veteran hero who's in danger of falling behind the times. When he's suddenly forced to team up with a hotshot newbie named Barnaby Brooks Jr., who also happens to have the same power he does. The two of them seem like an odd match, but together they just might become the greatest superhero duo ever. And hence the and- bromance part. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, the bromance part, the, yes. <laughs> which uh, really kind of helped to get a very unexpected audience for this show, because this show was originally supposed to be for, like, middle-aged adults, 
But instead, they got Pijoshi because, duh. Wow. <laughs> All I wanted to say is, I didn't, because, hold on. No, hold no, no, on. no, no, no. You say that. You say that. And I'm thinking, like, wait, did it really? And now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, yeah. considering how much, how, how, how um, the minds of Fujoshi work sometimes, I'm not surprised, actually. Have you seen <laughs> those men? I flubbed. <laughs> I need to review the joke I flubbed earlier. Okay. Okay. Two bros chilling in a hot tub five feet apart because they're not gay. <laughs> in their defense, those men are very pretty. They are very pretty. They yes, very yes, they are. But but okay. let's face it, we all know who the true hero is eventually when we get to him. I'll yes, just I'll yes. just say that. Yes, we yes we do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess we'll get started. So as with pretty much every episode, we're going to kick things off with our ADR directors and scriptwriters. I say this in multiples because we do have multiple people for both of these things. Do we uh, do we have confirmation for a scriptwriter? Because I know, um, no, actually, you probably would know more than anyone. He's the, he's the one who researched. He's the one. I was like, yeah, because uh, ANN doesn't list any writers on this. As, as, okay, well, I actually do own the Blu-ray, so I do know who the writers listed are. Sweet. Okay. Okay. So for our ADR directors, we have Suzanne Goldish and Xavier Simone, the actual head of Studiopolis himself. Oh, really? Wow, okay. I didn't know they were yes. in charge of Cityopolis. Like, oh, well, uh, Jamie Simone is Suzanne Goldish. is just like one of the regulars they use pretty often. That's cool. Okay. Okay, and as for the scriptwriters, brace yourself, kids, because we have not one, not two, but five scriptwriters on this show. You're five? kidding me right now. <laughs> I am not kidding. It is five people. I and I thought this... Oh my god, and I thought the staffing of New Game was gonna be, like, insane, but holy all right, fuck. All right, let's go lightning round, Jet. Who writes the show? Please. Okay, so going down to full, day, full list, sorry. Uh, we have our Drake Chamberlain, Jamie Simone, Liam O'Brien, Sam Regal, and Steve Kramer. Okay, so uh, going down some of Suzanne Goldish's other directing credits, uh, they include Bleach, of course, Katie Animation, The Viz read of The Sailor Moon, mm -hmm. and as for Jamie Simone, he has directed such shows as Afro Samurai, The Madhouse Marvel Shows, Some Parts of Naruto, and Tenkai Nights. Uh, Script-wise, Ardrite Chamberlain has worked on a lot of things for Tsuyopolis, such as Naruto, Digimon Adventure, and Glitter Force. Uh, Liam O'Brien has done scripts for Code Geass, Dear S, and Gun at Sword. <laughs> Sam Regal has done scripts for Tweety Witches, Mega Man Star Force, and Jingu Secret of the Cellar Wars. And Steve Kramer has done scripts for shows such as Blackjack, Blue Dragon, and some parts of Monster. And as far as Jamie Simone goes, this was the only writing credit of his that I can actually find. Okay, interesting. So, thoughts on these fine people? Uh, does anyone want to start? Um, I guess I'll start. Um, I thought all around, uh, this was a solid, genuine, like, light-hearted, buddy cop, superhero, like, corporate movie. And I think the dialogue, the chemistry between all these people really sells that. Because the whole 
crux of this, both on the camera and off camera, is the character dynamics and chemistry. So you gotta have everybody sort of bouncing off each other, bouncing off one another. And I think the dialogue and the delivery of all of that really reflects and really helps this show out quite a lot. I'm not surprised that there was a lot of writing going on because this is a show with a lot of different styles and stories to tell and I think sometimes you need different people to reflect that. But all in all it seemed like everything sort of came together and it wasn't like one episode sounded vastly different than the other to me. I think it all worked and blended very nicely. Okay, uh, anyone else? So, um, there's one thing that I demand from a show like this that Tiger and Bunny does really, really well. Banter. Mmm. Yes. In a I can city, agree with this. The city of Sternbuild feels alive. <clears throat> and anime set in very urban settings demand that. You know, Blood Blockade Battlefront, Bacano. That kind of thing. And, um... Tiger and Bunny does that exceptionally well. It, it feels snappy. Characters interact in a way that feels like the actors are still in the same room. Which is really, apparently, hard to do. And, uh, that's my piece. Yeah, I can I can definitely agree with that. The banter is very... I love the banter in the show. I mean, especially between all of our heroes, the banter is just so much fun, and you can tell... It, it doesn't seem like they're recording separately, which I would imagine that's how it... Because that's the norm. Like, you usually record your parts separately um, and go in order of some kind. But... It doesn't feel that way, and it feels really its really nice, and I like that. The script is also very straightforward, and has a lot of witty banter, too. My only big problem, and I'm realizing this now, because uh, I literally just finished the show a half hour ago for the first time. My only thing, and I think this is kind of a disadvantage with California dubs, um, at least back then, because Tiger and Bunny was probably dubbed... Tiger and Bunny came out, like, what, 2011? So it probably was dubbed maybe a year or so after that. The disadvantage that I think California dubs will sometimes have is their talent pool. Because when we get to it, we're actually going to have a first on the show and cover a voice actor twice as two separate roles. So the fact that there was a lot of repetitive like, voices being used. Like, I heard Kirk Thornton in, like, 20 freaking roles in the entirety of that show, for instance. And, again, this individual, when we get to him later on, uh, he was at least two part of two major villain arcs at both halves of the show. It's kind of a bit of a disadvantage. It doesn't hinder the performance of this individual person in particular because both of them were good and he managed to keep them as separate entities. But it's a bit of a disadvantage when you don't have as much of a talent pool to really give people more of a more um, variety. You don't double cast people. I mean, nowadays, of course, with the California pool being a bit larger and you're having newer talent, because I think at the time you wouldn't see your Max Middlemans or your Erica Mendezes or Harletchers and things like that. Because the talent pool is now expanded a lot more in California, you obviously this has been avoided a bit more. But in Tiger and Bunny's case, this is bit, this is kind of very prevalent 
um, with a lot of double casting or triple casting or quadruple casting in Kirk Thornton's case. Good lord. Um, but that's probably the only disadvantage I would think the show would have in terms of directing and writing. But everything else is, was very solid. You know, it's interesting. It's a, <clears throat> I'm, I'm sorry, Jet. It's a, it's a, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think that's a fair assessment, too. Uh, one thing I do kind of want to say about that specifically is that uh, it's kind of the mentality of, like, seeing up with versus, like, say, Bang Doom. Mm -hmm. uh, because Bang Doom actually is, like, relatively decent about casting a pretty wide net right. because they bring in a lot of new people and stuff like that. Right. Uh, Studiopolis, on the other hand, like, uh, J.B. Simone likes to cast, like, very specific people, like, very well-known people. Okay. And that was and that was kind of, like, the general vibe of this stuff. So it wasn't, like, necessarily that, like, they had a limited talent pool. This room, it's more just, like, all the people he brought in specifically. So it was more of a studio <laughs> choice than anything, then. Yeah, yeah okay. it was like more of a studio choice. Okay, because I think this is probably the first Studiopolis series that I've gotten the chance to talk about, because... And I, I'm, I, I'm compared to you, Jed. I'm less familiar with Cali Doves than you are, and I know I've talked. For me, I've talked more, at least a few more Bang Zoom ones compared to Studiopolis. So, uh, that's definitely very interesting. If they usually just go with more of the well known, well named talent, just stick with that. But I mean, if with Studiopolis, Studiopolis was the same studio that did like Bleach and Naruto, right? Yeah. Yes, it There's is. your problem. You got long running shows too that you're working on, you would think you could pull some more people from those shows to come over here? I mean, it's it, the argument, you have a good argument there, it's just at the same time, it's like, yeah, it's, you still have to bring in you, more people. It's yeah, funny you say that, the because piece. there's a lot of, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of recasting in it. I know, but <laughs> at the same time, it's like, you still have so many characters, yeah, 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 but it's like, you can like, still bring more people in. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it has been a problem. They've gotten better about that, like, uh, mostly because of Sailor Moon, but uh, they've gotten a little bit better about that over the years, so I'm pretty glad for that. Okay, um, so as far as my thoughts go, um, so Kelly Dubs can be kind of back and forth when it comes to, like, voice direction specifically, but uh, Sudiopolis Dubs are generally pretty reliable in that area, and uh, Suzanne Goldis and Jamie Simone are typically very good at what they do. Um, the show's direction is solid, and everyone here manages to more or less turn a good performance. Uh, this dub does have a lot of multi-casting, as we've said, which is kind of the norm for Chidiopolis for whatever weird reason. Uh, but the quality of the direction here is more than enough to compensate for that. And I feel like the two of them get a, do a great job of really getting you something to the show's atmosphere. And as far as the script goes, I really like that script a lot. Okay, so if you've heard me on this show at any point in time, you know that I could get very vocal when it comes to liberal translations of dumb scripts. Um, but I've always believed that liberal translations could actually work if the writers are really careful not to mess with the context of the show or any of the scenes they're writing and to try and keep everyone in character as much as possible. Uh, so the script for this show is very liberal, but it always manages to tip the landing in those areas. And most of the tweaks it does are daily in are daily just there to help the dialogue feel natural more than anything else. Now, like, one thing I really liked is, like, uh, right in the beginning of the first episode where Kintetsu meets his new boss. And, like, in a Japanese script, his boss asked him how he's supposed to, like, read the kanji for Kintetsu's name. Well, in English, the line is something like, I see your name, but how do I read it? Eh, whatever. And, like, it's a pretty minor thing, but it really does a lot to, like, maintain the flow of that scene without really changing the context too much. 
And it does really sprinkle with a whole bunch of things like that. Like, honestly, I'm gonna be honest and say, like, this script has gotta become, like, my gold standard for what I wanna see in liberal dumb scripts. And, like, pretty much ever since the first time I heard it. And it's part of the reason why I really like this dub. And, uh, another really fun fact about this dub is that Sunrise themselves also really like this dub. Really? And, uh, yes. Uh and apparently they were so happy with how it turned out. They actually got the dub to air in Japan to serve as an example of how effective English dubs can be. So let it not be said that Japan does not care about what you do. <laughs> Alright, cool. Okay, yep, um, so anyway, like I would say, this dub actually aired in Japan, which is uh, pretty interesting because that doesn't normally happen. And, so, and yeah. yet, Sunrise, <laughs> we have a bone to pick with you later. That's interesting. <laughs> yes, yes we do. We have a bone to pick with you. Okay, uh, so any other thoughts, or are we ready to move it's on? It's good. Me good. likey. You know, actually, it kind of reminds me of the, um, Space Dandy, where they, um, where they repurpose Funimation's Blu-ray trailers for, um, for Japan, for the, uh, the condensed Blu-ray box. Oh, that's cool. Y you know the live-action yeah. ones? Uh, yeah, I think I remember those. Yeah, those got repurposed for Japan. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I remember seeing that, but that is super, super cool. Good to see Japan's got good taste sometimes. Okay, um, so I guess we're ready to move on then. So we're going to start diving into some of my characters. Uh, first up, we have the Kaburagi family. We have Kaede, Anju, and Murabasa. Uh, Kaede is Kotetsu's ten-year-old daughter who hates the fact that he's never around. Uh, while Anju is Kotetsu's elderly mother, and Murabasa is his serious older brother. Uh, so, playing these five people, we for Kaede, we have Eden Regal. Uh, playing Anju, we actually have uh, Kerry Walgren, so practically enough. <laughs> and uh, for Murabasa, we have, of course, Mr. Yeah, one of his 20 roles in the show. <laughs> God damn it. At least he's playing a good person in this one. Most of his other bit roles are like the worst people. Okay, well, he does, well, he does get a couple of those roles in the show. I know, so. I know. He's probably the <laughs> nicest person in the world. He's always the bit person asshole. Yep. Okay, um, so Aiden Regal is known more for, like, video games and live-action roles, but some of her other work includes, uh, Koan in the Viz Redub of Sailor Moon, uh, Chihiro from Phoenix, and, uh, you're probably gonna be interested in this one, Andrew, Marie from Persona 4 The Golden. Oh! <laughs> is she? <laughs> Surprise, <laughs> motherfucker! Wow! <laughs> Kaede, you're cute, but I'm sorry that in Persona, you're the worst fucking girl. Fucking fight me. <laughs> okay, uh, Carrie Walgren plays another character in this show that we'll get to later, but she has a pretty extensive resume. Um, some of which includes Haruko from Bully Coley, Fu from Samurai Champloo, and of course, Delty Sterlson from Terara. And uh, Kirk Thornton, as we mentioned already, plays a few other incidental characters in the show, and he has a pretty long track record with anime, some of which includes Saito Hajime from Yorori Kenshin, Gapuman from Digimon Adventure, and Father Fujimoto from Blue Exorcist. 
So, any thoughts on day three? Um, but let's see. The mom does a good job of being a mom. The brother does a good job being Kirk Thornton brother. He's very supportive and stuff. And Kirk Thornton brother. He he he, he does a good job at be at being a thorn in his brother's side. Ah! Go sit in the go sit in the corner. Think about what you've done, young man. My recording spot already is a corner, mom. Okay. Go into another corner. That's not your recording spot. I hate then. you so much, right? Now. Anyways, um, hey, aside hey, from that, I what? Here, here, here's my hip blast. Go ahead and take a nip. You earned it. Go ahead. God damn it, Roots, don't encourage him. Don't encourage him, you bastard. Take a, take a little Stop nip it. of the creature. No! Oh my god. Stop it. Okay, uh, aside from that, I think Kirk Thornton does a pretty good job at being the supportive brother. Uh, he doesn't. He's not there for long, but he does a pretty good job. Uh, Kaedas does a really good job at kind of mixing adorable while also being justifiably bratty and bitchy. Which is kind of understandable, given, like, she lost her mom, her dad's never around, and she's, like, a growing girl who's kind of in that period between, like, adolescence and teenagerhood, where she's dealing with the fact where it's like, I don't like dolls, This these cute boys on these magazines are kind of good, and the dad is like, hey, you like that doll, right? No, that doll looks gross and weird. Whoops! Oh, slides the bag underneath the car. <laughs> that was great. But yeah, no, uh, I like uh, I like her as Kaede a lot. I think she adds a nice like mix between not being too young while not being too old either, and and I think it works. Okay, uh, what about you, Lilac? Um slight timeout. We're covering the daughter, the brother, and the grandma, right? Yes. Oh. Uh, well, the mom, technically, but yeah. The mom or the grandma? Kotetsu's <laughs> mom, Kaede's Kotetsu's grandma. Yes, okay, okay, Kotetsu's mom. Like, okay. I actually did try to look for Kotetsu's wife, but I could not find out who that person was. Okay. She was she was busy being dead. Oh, boy. So, I mean, there's not much to say about Kirk Thornton. Kurt Thorne is generally amazing in everything he does, even if it is 20 million roles in this one show. I'm not going to let that go. I'm not letting that go, Studiopolis. Like, no. Um, God, who else we got? Kaede. First of all, Kaede? I don't... Is it Kaede or Kaede? It's Kaede. No, no, I mean, like, the actual pronunciation. Not the uh, show's interpretation. Honestly, <laughs> I don't have a clue. I don't like, either. It's, it's, like, it's been forever since I've watched a Japanese version, so I It's like, why? <laughs> why? Um, but I think Eden Regal was kind of, was pretty adorable. It was a little obnoxious to start off with, but kind of going into a bit further in the show, I kind of got used to it. Um, and I'm forgetting, I'm blanking on names already. Who plays Grandma? Uh, I said that was actually Carrie Walgren Car- doing double duty, but we'll get to that later. Oh, I didn't know it was Carrie Walgren shit. <laughs> oh, man, more double duty? That's, that's, okay, yeah, okay, don't feel bad. I actually didn't know that until I was looking for the credits for this episode. So, <laughs> and I've watched this dub like five or six times. Okay, I, didn't know I, th- never knew I, that. Did, I didn't know it was Carrie. <laughs> 
I didn't know it was Kari Walgren. Which, first of all, it's Kari, not Carrie or Kari. Is it Kari? It's Kari. Here's the way you know. My first anime boss, and she was a guest there, and I went to her panel. She taught us how to pronounce her name. Just think of Kari, like Ferrari. Okay, Kari. That's good to know, especially Kari for Walgren. especially for later. All right. Yes. Uh, yeah, Kari. I mean, I didn't know that was Kari Walgren. It, it kind of blows my mind that it was her, but she did. She did good as grandma. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed all three of these. Even though two out of the three were like double cast in the show, <laughs> it blows my mind. Studiopolis, come on! I know you can pull in more people at that time. Why? I don't understand. But anyway, <laughs> I'm good. Okay, uh, what about you, Roots? All right, so um, Kirk Thornton does a really good job with as the uh, the jerk with the point. First and foremost. The jerk like, with the is, point at a liquor store. Like, he is an ass in this, but you can tell he has a point. Like, he, he's calling Kotetsu out on all his shit. And, and you want to be kind of mad about it, but you know... He, he kind of deserves it. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, so, uh, Kari Walgren as the, um, as Kotetsu's mother, kind of also to the same effect. She seems like the kind of grandma who would smack sense into you. And, uh, Eden Regal as Kaede. Uh, I mean, what can I say? Uh, Andrew kind of hit it in the head. And, um... Are we are we gonna cover her plot point? Is it okay to talk about that? There's a spoiler I warning mean, from the beginning. Oh, I'm about to say that um, we we have spoiler warnings for a reason. So okay, okay, it's it's, it's fine. We're, we're going to have to deal with the big spoilers anyway. Yeah, yeah. Two of these characters, so it's I mean, fine. Andrew <laughs> and and Lilac didn't cover it, so I wasn't sure if it. No, was you may just go for no, it. You, you, you may okay, go. Okay, so. Go. Her figuring out her next power and then being one of the key, one of the key points in the second half of the second core. She basically turned she into a really MacGyver. She kind of turned into like a Deus Ex Machina device in a sense. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of how many Deus Ex Machinas there were in that ending, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, I certainly get to do that. Okay, um, okay, so as for me, like, okay, so like I said before, I've seen this dub a few times at this point, and I honestly had no idea until I was looking for the credits that Carrie Wal- that Kyrie Walgren, sorry, Kari. was Kotetsu's mom, so that really goes to show how wide her vocal range is, because mm. I could honestly not tell that was her, and she was really believable in that role. As uh, far as Kirk Thornton goes, uh, the fact that he pops up in a few other bit roles here does kind of dull the impact of his performance here a little bit. Uh, but I did think he did a good job of playing the absurd big brother type. And it did kind of make for a good contrast to how goofy Kotetsu was, so you could probably imagine the kind of dynamic they had while growing up. Um, and then for Eden Regal, um, I'll admit that when I was thinking of a cast for this show way back when, 
This is actually where I wanted Kyrie Walgren to be. Uh, but uh, Eden Regal does a really fantastic job. Uh, there were a couple moments early on where I thought she sounded like maybe a little bit too old for the character. Uh, but she did get in character really quickly. And uh, she really sold like how strained the relationship between her and Kirtatsu was. And uh, also, I'm not going to lie. When I rewatched the show for this and I got the episode 17, I actually teared up a little bit when she gave Kirtatsu that drawing of their family. That was really cute. So was so, cute. That was so cute. <laughs> oh my god, when you when she first activated those powers, he's just like, I gotta give this to Dad! He's so cute! Like, I, I wasn't sure if they were implying she just got that, or if that was her first time using that and being like... She seemed like she knew what she was doing, though, but hey. Maybe, I don't know. They don't really say. Nah, nah, it, it's, it's like, it, it, like literally doesn't like it right there. Yeah. Which, uh, would have, which I guess would have been interesting if that didn't happen and she was running across the train. But, uh, uh, <laughs> she would have been dead. She's a tough cookie, She would have so been fucking dead. No, she would have died. Right. <laughs> Sorry, she would have if her powers didn't wake up and she just didn't stop at the end of the platform. She would have died. But yeah, it's uh, just to wrap up. Uh, I thought Eden was really good and convincing and the other two were serviceable. Okay, so are you ready to move on? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so next up we're going to get to some of the fine folks involved in the hero show business. We have Ben Jackson, Alexander Lloyds, Agnes Jobert, and Doc Saito. Um, so Ben is Kotetsu's former boss and close friend, while Alexander Lloyds is his new boss who's kind of a pain in the neck. Uh, Agnes is Hero TV's key producer who is... Uh, pretty obsessed with making sure these shows get the highest ratings possible. And Doc Saito is the quote-unquote quiet scientist in charge of making the suits for each hero. I'm sorry, Doc Saito is hilarious, and I love him. And I love who voices him, because it's funny. Real talk. There was him. physically no way for us to actually really judge Doc Saito until, like, the last three episodes. Pretty much. I know he was there before that. He was there before that. were like paying attention to the last. I understand, yeah. but you and then I think I think there were also weren't, there were also moments where like he was talking to Tiger and Bunny like through the suits too. So yeah, there there are little bits and moments where you can hear him, but he kind of gets to shine a bit more in the last few episodes of the show because he has that little loudspeaker on his head. Yes, but who gets to shine as him? <laughs> okay, so, okay. So going down with these actors, uh, playing Ben, we have Mister. Okay, and I'm sorry if I get this wrong. Uh, Mister. Bu Billingsy, uh, playing Alexander Lloyd's, we have Darren Norris. For Agnes, we have Tara Platt, and for Doc Saito, we have Mister. Dave Whitmer. Huzzah! <laughs> Motherfucking <laughs> Kakashi, let's go! <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, B. Billingsy has been allowed for a long time, and seems to have picked up a lot more work recently, uh, but you know him for roles such as the Raikage in Naruto Shippuden, Barrett from Final Fantasy Advent Children, and of course, Jet Black from Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, buddy. Uh, Terra Plant is also a pretty familiar face in anime, and you know her for roles such as Tamari from Naruto, Ava Heinemann from Monster, and Mitsuo Kirito from Persona 3. Uh, Dave Wittenberg is another anime veteran, and some of his work includes 
uh, Henry from Digimon Tamers, Kei Kusanagi from Please Teacher, and of course Kakashi from the Naruto franchise. Uh, Darren Norris, on the other hand, has only has a few anime roles, such as Mercury Mon from Digimon Frontier, Ray from Fist of the North Star. Uh, but he's better known for some of, for some of his roles in Western animation, <laughs> some of which some of which includes and brace yourself for this. If you tell me voice of, if you tell me he's a voice of Lex Luthor, I I'm need to know. Totally no, 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 no. Damn he's it! Not okay. that. No. No, no, no. Okay. He's not that. But no. he is, no. Let me finish. I need okay. to know. Shut up. Sorry, I'm bracing Bruce, myself. Don't you dare interrupt me. I'm sorry, I'm bracing okay, myself so here. Please is... proceed. Okay, so he is the voices of Cosmo. Timmy's dad and Jorgen von Strigel from the Fairly Odd. That's fucking lying! You're fucking lying to me right now! You're lying to me! It doesn't stop there. Uh, he's also Gordy the janitor from Dance and Classified School Survival Guide for anyone who remembers that show. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. <laughs> You're a lying sack of shit! <laughs> no, I am not joking. What the fuck? <laughs> my childhood! I don't know anything anymore! Whoa! Co wait, Cosmo and Timmy's dad. Yes, Cosmo, yeah. Timmy's yep, dad, and Jordan got strangled. He was all three of them. <laughs> okay, if that's not some black magic bullshit right there, it, I don't know what is. See, I can hear it as soon as you mentioned it, but that was bugging me the I whole show. I still don't. That was bugging me the whole show. Like, where have I heard this voice before? It sounds so familiar. That's why I was like, if you tell me he plays like a Lex Luthor from some sort of Superman cartoon, I would have believed it. Because that's what it reminded me of. Like, his voice and that character type right there, that's what it instantly reminded me of. I'm like, this is going to be a Lex Luthor character. I'm like, shit. Though, to be fair, since you originally omitted two people from the show, I knew he wasn't going to be a baddie in the end. So I'm like, but this guy still reminds me, like, has such vibes of, like, a Lex Luthor type of character. So I would have been like, if you told me this guy was voiced a Lex Luthor in some kind of version where Superman is involved, I would have believed you. <laughs> I'm like, shit! <laughs> okay! Oh, All right. You guys are about to kill me. You guys are about to kill me. But what? Cosmo? Motherfucking Cosmo? What? Kotetsu? Oh my god! Kotetsu? I'm gonna respect your privacy by knocking, but I'm going to assert my authority as your <laughs> boss by busting the door down. <laughs> I was thinking of making that joke. I was thinking of making that joke, but I forgot exactly how it went. Thank you for that. Okay. Okay. Okay, so we, we gotta got get serious. Done. We gotta, we get, gotta serious. get serious. Okay. Serious? Okay. What's that? We never know when it gets serious around okay. here, guys. So, where do we begin? Where do we begin? Where do we begin? Do you um, want? Do you want me to keep going since I kind of just started going into my thoughts at this point? Uh, sure. Yeah. I uh, should yeah. go. I uh, should go ahead. Okay. So, Darren, <laughs> Darren Norris. Aside from me not be still believing he was in Fairly Odd Parents, again, like he fit the character type that Lloyd's was basically was in my head again, which was like a Lex Luthor, like billionaire head honcho CEO kind of type. And it worked very well. Uh, God, where's my list? Who are we? Also, uh, I don't get to hear Bo Billingsley enough. I'm so happy. I got to hear him here. Um, it was him as Ben was a lot of fun to listen to. And he's definitely a good companion, um, to Kotatsu wild tiger throughout the course of the series. My only, my only, my only criticism, though, there wasn't enough Ben. 
I wanted bad, more bad Ben. I wanted more Ben. Um, Tara Platt, I'm glad you brought up the Ava Heinemann credit for Monster. This is another Ava Heinemann to me. And I knew it the instant Agnes opened her mouth. Which, Ava, if you're familiar with Monster, Ava Heinemann's a fucking bitch. Is, a is Ava yes, his ex-wife? Yes, she is. No, no. She, she's, no, she's ex like his ex-fiance. Okay, ex right. Ex-fiance. They never got married. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, ex-fiance. They never got married. And Ava, Ava's character is a conniving little bitch who just wants to be rich and comfortable uh, and she's daddy's little girl and this kind of shit. I think she's much well, better than Ava, but I see I see where you made the comparison. Yeah, yeah, but with Agnes's character, it's a, it's it's only it's really only similar in the fact that Agnes she cares about ratings. She cares about Hero TV being the biggest thing in the world. And you can see how much Agnes kind of becomes a bitch in order to get the job done. And um who yeah and who was um who was her counterpart that was with her most of the time i i know i don't um, know the character's name but i'm blanking on who uh, voices them uh, uh, okay do you mean like the camera guy yes okay yeah that was uh obviously keith silverstein okay yes oh uh, i knew I, th I figured that'd be keith silverstein which is a funny thing because johan exists in this world ladies and gentlemen um but yeah like the the dialogue and the banter between her and um, Keith's character in the show was very interesting because one of the big plot points of this show, really, and one of the big themes is superheroes more being a corporate thing. And because you see on their costumes all the names of their sponsors and all this stuff. And the whole issue with ratings and trying to get large audiences to watch the show, it becomes a very prevalent theme throughout the course of it. And Ava is de not Ava. Wow, Agnes, Agnes, not Ava, is definitely one of the center points, the central points for that because that's basically what she cares about. And I thought Tara Platt was phenomenal with that. Um, Dave Wittenberg, though. I'm sorry, because <laughs> I know I'm familiar with him as Kakashi. I am also familiar with him as Solomon from Blood Plus, which I will admit Solomon is a terrible fucking character, but I love that character to pieces. He didn't deserve what he got, and I know Megan will fight me on it. But seeing Dave Wittenberg basically be a very, very quiet person, like you could but he's not even audible. Like, he's, like, really, really, really... It's really interesting to see that. And then, whenever you actually hear him, it's very, like, upbeat and kind of perky and more up and more happy-go-lucky in a sense, which is weird for the character itself. But that's really only because he's just using, like, a megaphone or a microphone just to amplify his voice. So... But it's still a lot of fun. I think Dave Winberg was definitely one of the more funny and interesting casting choices for the show as um, Doc Saito, in my opinion. All right. So, let's see. Starting out with... Uh, let's start with Ben, because uh, 
Bo has one of the sexiest voices I've ever heard. And <laughs> That's why I said the show needed more Ben. And he's fantastic every time I hear him, because I've finally been watching Outlaw Star for the first time, and he's the narrator for every single episode of Outlaw Star. It's like, oh boy, I'm ready to get into this, because that dude sounds awesome. Um, Agnes sounds really good. Uh, she sounds exactly the right level of authoritative and sassy, while also being really eccentric and into the idea of ratings and being like, this is gonna be the best ever, or I'm tired of dealing with your shit, Kotetsu, goddammit, just fucking put on your mask. <laughs> you know, it's like, I feel like she was, she, she cared enough about these people, but was also kind of like, I'm not in the mood for any of your shit, please, just do what you gotta do, okay? Uh... Mr. Lloyd's, boy, now that I know that that was goddamn Cosmo, suddenly oh, the God. entire, like, it's like a cloud cleared over. I never looked that up because I'm like, he sounds familiar, but I'm sure Jet's going to tell me. I'm so glad I went into that blind because holy shit. He's really, <laughs> I am too. He's really good. He's really good yeah. and he sounds the right level of authoritative corporate man to really be good at his job and be condescending and... I, I thought he was fantastic. I think he really added a lot to a character I probably would not have cared about in, like, almost any other circumstance. And Dave Wittenberg, I know it's a shock to some if you, only you've ever heard Kakashi, but he is straight up in the original Persona 4. He is Teddy. So I've heard him do weird, comedic, dopey. But even then, I'm still surprised because he's, at, he's this giant technological goofball when you get to hear him audibly and I think he does a lot to make this character fun, energetic, and really amusing for the episodes he actually does get to do things. And, okay, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. No, you, no, go ahead, Rich. Are you all done, Andrew? I'm yeah, not, yeah, sorry. yeah, I'm done. I'm wrapped. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, let's see here. Who do I begin with? Um, yeah, I agree with everyone else that the show needed more Ben. <clears throat> Because, holy shit, Bull Bellingsley can sell his character. Oh, my God. Like, Bull Bellingsley was just... He almost seemed like Jet. Like, like Jet Black. In a way. Because he's the, uh... He's sort of the older brother figure to Kotetsu. And, and that was really nice. Uh, let's see here. Who do I want to do next? Um... Yeah, I... I, I really like the fact that they managed to figure out a really good balance for Agnes where she's, you know, authoritative and sharkish, but she does have a bit more personality to her. <laughs> I think I summed up my opinion on, uh, on Dan Norris with my little joke earlier, which, by the way, I had caught that cast announcement as it was being made. I, I had to do a double take because I recognize that name. <laughs> and there's a and just a word of warning, there is another one coming up. Oh boy. There is yep. another one coming up. And you are Oh man, I'm excited now. Can't wait for more bullshit to call. I'm gonna lose it, aren't I? I'm excited. Oh yeah. Let's see where this goes. And Dave Wittenberg. He's adorable. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> He's I, adorable. I, I, I'm used to his high register because that was that was a voice he used for a couple of other shows like Zatch Bell and and Digimon. 
So I, I'm used to it, but what I really like is that they... It's really subtle, but if you go up to your TV and really listen, he actually says everything. Yeah, he does say everything. It's I, not like, I know it's he not just him actually it. mumbling. I it's know really he actually says it, and I've heard it a couple of times, but even then, it's just like, I have to go up to the TV to actually hear it. And then, you know, when he's got the, <laughs> when he's got the megaphone helmet, that's just great. He's just a big old nerd, and he's cool. 13 out of 10 would talk shop. <laughs> yep. Okay, so I guess I'll go. Alright, uh, so, like, for a really fun fact, like, if you've ever actually, like, seen Darren Doris, he looks almost exactly like Mr. Like Lloyd's. So I honestly, like, literally the exact same haircut and everything. So I almost would be surprised if they brought him in for that reason. <laughs> Uh, but uh, jokes aside, given his whole like track record in Western animation, uh, Darren Norris is really great at comedy. So throwing him into this show and having him play the stuff-up boss instead is like pure gold. And you can tell he was just really having a lot of fun with that. And uh, the same with him as the announcer, because he was also the announcer, just to kind of show how much rage he has. Um, as for uh, Bo Billingsley, uh, it really does suck that he's kind of been absent from anime until recently because. He does a really great job of playing, like, fraternal figures, like Jet from Bebop. And, uh, he brings that same level of supportive quality here, since Ben really does do his best to look out for Kitetsu. And I'm pretty glad he more or less gets his job back in the end, because I would have been upset if that didn't happen. Uh, I also really like Terra Platt as Agnes, since he did a great job of being snooty as Ava and Monster. And she delivers on that same level of attitude here. I mean, I'm kind of a little sad the show didn't do more of her because I kind of liked uh, the way she played off of characters like Kotetsu and the cameraman when it came to comedy. And then for Dave Wittenberg, well, honestly, this wasn't my first time hearing him in a goofy role because I had like long since played the original Persona 4 dub. Uh, but I really got a kick of how snarky Doc Saito is and all the moments where he was like screaming through the loudspeaker had me in stitches. Uh, one thing I also really liked, like, towards the back half of the show was how he and Ben played off of each other during the last arc. Like, I would totally be down for more stuff, like, just with those two characters because they just really played off each other really well. Can I just say that I also love the fact that in the end, Ben is now hired to work at Apollo, Apollon, and he basically works with Doc Saito. I know, it didn't seem like he was, like, hired to work there. He's, like, the new boss now. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like, uh, Mr. Lord that specifically called his boss. Yeah, that's true. So I think he took over. <laughs> Might have, yeah. Which would have been fucking awesome. Go, Ben! This is why the show needed more Ben, because Ben is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, any other thoughts? I like them all. They did a really good job. Uh, they were enjoyable side characters and pleasant surprises. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm looking at who we're going to talk about next. Oh, baby. Yep. Oh, baby. Yep, it's finally time to start diving into heroes a little bit. Or should we say anti-heroes? Oh. <laughs> okay, oh, so next up we have Yuri Petrov, a.k.a. Lunatic, and Mr. Legend. Uh, so Lunatic is a vigilante who believes that criminals should pay for their crimes and death and targets anyone who he feels deserves his judgment. He's uh, the Mr. Punisher. The... He's the Punisher. Yeah. 
And he's also yeah, a, he's also a lawyer in real life. Yes. Matt Murdock the Punisher is an interesting yes. combo. <laughs> <laughs> That's it great. Is. <laughs> yep. Uh, so Mr. Lenson, on the other hand, is a legendary hero known for stopping more criminals than any other hero in the history of hero TV. He is the best, and coolest was... guy in the world, and nothing happened. <laughs> and there's a secret yes. Jet, I think, was about to say, too. Yep. Uh, he was also the one who inspired Gertetta to become a hero. Um, so anyway, playing Lunatic, we have Mr. Liam O'Brien. And playing Mr. Legend, we have Kyle Herbert. Hey, Bear. Hey, Bear. Bye, hey, Bear. Bear. I'm sorry, I was about to get that wrong at least once. Okay. <laughs> Let's see how many more times it happens, though. We will judge you okay. very harshly. <laughs> okay, uh, so Liam O'Brien hasn't been in too much recent stuff, but you know him for roles such as Kunzite in The Viz Redub of Sailor Moon, uh, Gara from the Naruto franchise, and of course, uh, Steph would kill me if I didn't mention this, Dr. Kenzo Tenba from Monster. You learn very yeah. quickly. <laughs> Monster is my okay. baby. If that show ever gets rescued, you know for a fucking fact I'm calling dibs on hosting a Dub Talk Classics on that thing. You know I will. That and Paranoia yes, Agent. But they gotta be rescued first. Please that rescue course. them. Please rescue and fully release them. I would buy all that shit. Oh my god. Please. Okay, and uh, Kyle Hebert is a pretty familiar face in anime at this point. And you know him for roles such as Teen Gohan from Dragon Ball Z Kai, Noriaki Kakuin from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Star Crusaders, and of course, Kamina from Gurren Lagann. So, uh, getting into these two characters, I gotta say... All Might really let himself go, didn't they? <laughs> no! 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 Oh no! No! Okay! I was gonna keep it going for a little bit, but don't you dare compare those two! You fuck! I, Andrew's having a moment where he's like, you, you do this the day of my daughter's wedding. You do this the day of my daughter's wedding! You ask me for a favor, and then you shit in my cereal! <laughs> okay, so that was a time we let the cat out of the bag because okay, the yeah, big, yeah the we, big... we there's a there's a reason why we had to pair these two together, and I didn't realize yeah. it until I finished the show. Thank you, Jet. Yeah, okay, yeah. So the reason we paired these two together is because they are in fact father and son. Dun, dun, and dun, uh, dun. Mr. Legend is not uh, quite all he's cracked up to be. To the point he where, uh, to the point where he kind of dies. Basically, the Boy. actual plot critical thing is the fact that he like. A certain other character later on eventually gradually starts losing the ability to use his powers. Yep. But at the frustration of that, he turns to the bottle. And when he turns to the bottle, he turns to the wifey. And Daddy gets abusive at night. Yes. Oh boy, does he. <gasps> yeah. Uh, so who wants to start us off with this? So I have a, I I have a quick for... question for Andrew. Yes. Because I'm still watching a Let's Play of uh, Daigon Ramba V3. Kyle Heber is Kaito too, right? He's Kaito Momota, Luminary. I'm just making sure I heard that voice correctly. Oh, he's just Kamina in that role. He's He's, just Kamina. He's Kamina. But that... It's great. Okay, so uh, I'll I'll go first then. Uh, Liam O'Brien is a voice we probably should talk about more often, but granted, he's been a lot more video games and animation of late, but every time you hear Leo and O'Brien, 
he's amazing and fantastic. And he does a really good job at being cold but badass and assertive. And man, that man was going to shoot you. And he does a great job at sounding stern, calculative, mm. but also being kind of fair and giving the benefit of the doubt. Because remember, he's the one that defends Kotetsu because yeah, he knows he Kotetsu isn't in the wrong right now. So he defends him, which was really interesting and was the yeah. most... Straight up, this character is the Punisher. But even then, I'm thinking, why do you look like a gremlin? Why do you look like an elf demon when going to work? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I, ha like, I have to say the one thing I really appreciate about the character is that like, they didn't even bother trying to hide who he was. Like... <laughs> like, they, like they never try to do up. a whole secret. They, they never try to do a whole secret identity thing. They tell you who he is almost right away. You see a couple of shots of him literally right next to his mask. Like they don't even bother. <laughs> the, the, the show didn't even try. They were just like, "Here, have this person. Have this person who's clearly the antihero." Who knew? Uh, anyways, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't said my thoughts on uh, Mr. Legend. He doesn't get much screen time to do, but Kyle A. Bear does a good job at making him sound heroic and majestic, except when he's not. And he sounds like a fucking asshole. And boy, does the fire of those sins catch up with him quickly. Ooh, because yeah, fun Ooh. fact. You want to know how Mr. Legend dies? That's when it's it's, uh, yeah. it's Yuri's fault, it's Lunatic's fault, because that was when he activated his next abilities. I think that was when, when he, he first, first activated it. Yes. Yeah, because he wanted to defend his mom, who was getting the shit beat out of her. Which so makes he me jumps think, in. Uh, I don't think it's definitely an interesting thing. Uh, unlike the Hero Aka universe, it doesn't seem like the actual abilities are genetic. They're more like a randomized generator. Considering yeah. what Kaede's ability is compared to her dad Kotetsu, it, it doesn't seem genetic. But at the same time, we also don't know if the mom was an axed or if she had some sort of latent ability considering she died. Uh -huh. So it, mm. it's possible it could be genetic, but we also got to remember that both Kotetsu and Barnaby have the exact same ability, so it's like, where did that come from? I don't know if it's genetic or not. It'd be an interesting... That's more of an interesting, like, lore kind of situation and world building that you'd have to look into to figure out, how, like, how these powers work or how you obtain them, you know? All right. But yeah, no, I thought he did a... Good, they both did really good jobs at their respective roles, and I it, I really wish the show explored a little more of that dynamic between them, since I thought that was fascinating. That was really fascinating to me. But yeah, I'm done. Okay, uh, Lilac? Um, speaking of the uh, whole father-son dynamic, I love the fact that the show brings it up once and they never bring it up again. Is it, uh, yeah, that, uh, I'll admit that actually did kind of bother me the that first bothered time me I watched lot. the show. That bothered me a lot. Like, I mean, upon, like, re-walking the show, I do kind of get what they were going for. Is it, like, like, okay, like, when you watch it the first time, it does kind of seem like it's supposed to be, like, a big plot thing. Uh, but upon, like, rewatch, I'm kind of like, oh, okay, this is just supposed to be, like, lunatic solo episode in the same way you got, like, solo episodes for the other heroes in the first half. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, like it. I mean, like it is a big deal. But of course, we get there to explain like why Ludovic is the way he is. That's basically it. Yeah, I get that too. I I understand what they were going for with that episode, more focused on Yuri slash Lunatic here. But again, my issue is they never bring it up again, and it's also never really Lunatic's story isn't really given some kind of conclusion too. Which is kind of, which is kind of sad because, god damn it, if Liam O'Brien is not a sneaky motherfucker and an asshole, I mean, here's my thing, because I tend to have, like, I'm usually used to Liam O'Brien as probably more of a soft-spoken character, sometimes good guys, occasionally bad guys in the case here with this antihero. But, I mean, again, because it's my favorite goddamn series ever, like, I'm used to him as Tenma, mostly, in Monster. And then he was, he was also in Paranoid Agent. Yeah, he was, because he was one of the freaking cops in there. Um, that ends up going fucking crazy. <laughs> but, um, Lee, I really enjoyed Liam's performance here as Lunatech because it has the right, uh, I feel like it kind of has the right amount of like not really a tragic story but more like a hidden past nobody wants to talk about and he has enough malice to carry out his own sense of justice and i know we kind of been making the comparison a couple times with my hero this case lunatic in a sense is the stain of the universe here like because in my hero stain the villain we see in that short arc in the second half of season two, he has his own sense of justice, but in a different way. Like, his ideals are a little bit different because he wants to have, like, righteous and true heroes that are just in it to be, like, legitimate heroes. So he go, but whoever isn't, he goes out and kills these heroes. To be fair, their targets may be different. But the ideals are, in a way, kind of similar. And I can... Oh, oh man. In a way. You know, no, no, it's just kind of funny because now that you brought that up, I literally just realized that if you think about it, yeah. Ludotic is basically like if Todoroki became state. Oh, God. <laughs> I was right. gonna bring that you up. You're right. right. <laughs> oh, my God, you're right. Except minus the ice powers, because maybe Todoroki decided, fuck these ice powers, I'm going straight fire. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I really enjoy Liam's performance here, and Kyle Hebert, I forgot that was Kyle Hebert, because I forgot how crazy his range can be sometimes. Oh. Um, dear sweet baby Jesus. But he was also rather enjoyable, and seeing this whole because mr legend in and of itself has his own character arc in a sense and it's that story is used in comparison to again with another character who's going through a similar situation with their powers diminishing and seeing that story of this fallen legend in a sense because it's not just his powers diminishing it's kind of a catalyst because we find out that because his powers were diminishing some of the other heroes that were on Hero TV would help catch, capture the criminals, but let Mr. Legend take the credit for it. So in that case, you have some very false arrests and 
kind of being a little bit rigged to a sense. And that probably also it kind of is one of those things that kind of um, builds in and kind of stacks up and drives Mr. Legend to turn to drinking, to turn to this depression of sorts. And seeing that transition... And especially through Kotetsu's eyes, because he's originally seen as this very awesome hero, like the best, the legend and everything like that. And then seeing the fall from grace and through Lunatic or Yuri's eyes, it's a very interesting character arc in and of itself. And I think Kyle Haybear played that rather well, honestly. Both of these individuals played it played their roles very well. Um, though, because... Monster's my jam. I'm sorry. I, I love Liam O'Brien. I think he's one of my favorite voice actors, and I do wish he would come back to anime more often again, but I know he's busy with other things right now. So. Okay, uh, what about you, Roots? Alright, let's see here. Lunatic. Liam O'Brien's Lunatic. Well, I mean, the character is more or less Chinese Flaming Batman, so... Or no, I mean, no, I'm you're... sorry, not Chinese Flaming Batman. Russian Flaming Batman. You're not wrong. Like, you're not No, 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 there's another character they showed who's Batman, but we'll get to him later. Yeah, touche, touche. Fair. But I was I was going for the, the darker than black joke there, but yeah. Yep. Um, I really like really like the fact that he was really two-faced in the show. Like, holy shit. Because you got, you got him as basically the district attorney of Sternville prosecuting bad guys and then showing up at jail after he's put them away to kill him. Like, I can't exactly agree with that philosophy, but in terms of the character, Liam O'Brien does it really well. And I gotta give props to Kyle Hibbert, especially for asshole. Uh, oh god, uh, Mr. Hero, Mr. Legend, Mr. Legend, Mr. Legend. I'm sorry uh, for asshole, Mr. Legend, because um, it actually kind of reminded me of a different time he got to play an asshole. Really? I now? I don't think it was a named part in the show, but he actually got to be a total total dirtbag in uh, Madoka. It was um, it was right as Sayaka was breaking mentally and I think he was him talking was one of the things that ended up turning her into a witch. It's been a while since okay, I'm pretty sure I know. Okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know the exact scene he's talking about. Yeah. It's been a few years since I've Where watched Madoka. He, he just says the most horrible things about women that you could possibly imagine to come out of a human being's mouth. And, uh, and it causes Sayaka to break and turn into a witch. She kill she kills them both. And, but that's, that's kind of what his performance as Mr. Legend reminded me of. It gave me chills. <coughs> Especially yeah. when you, Especially when you take a look <laughs> in, like, episode three, when he's just the guy who inspired Kotetsu to become a hero. And then he's just, like, drunken Endeavor a couple episodes later. 
Uh, yeah, that was really sad. Okay, um, so getting into my thoughts a little bit. Um, so, Liam O'Brien was actually one of my original choices when I was thinking of a cast list way back when. My other choice was Crispin Freeman. Um, so I was pretty happy with how his performance turned out. Uh, Liam O'Brien has always been really great at villain roles, and he does a great job of making Ludovic sound as creepy as possible, but, like, never to the point of oversawing it, and he does kind of do that whole duality contrast really well. And as far as Kyle Haber goes, I mean, like, we've all heard him as a great Sandman at this point, so we know he can do superheroes. Uh, but I was actually pretty surprised with how subdued he played it at first, like, I mean, like, it's heroic, but it's not, like, over the top. Uh, but then when we got to episode 16, it all made sense because, boy, how did he, did he do a great job of, like, portraying the violent, broken man underneath the cape. Like, that whole revelation is just really something. And again, like I was mentioning before, I'll be honest in saying that the first time I watched the show, I was a little disappointed this wasn't used to, like, set up a confrontation between Lunatic and Kitetsu. But eventually I realized, again, this is kind of just like Lunatic's solo episode there to explain his character rather than being, like, a major plot thing. And while I still hope any future stuff plays with that more, I still really appreciate how that whole arc was handled. That was really well done. And yeah, that's basically it for me. Alright, uh, so did anyone have any other thoughts or are ready to move on? Nope. I'm good. Can, can we talk okay. about, can we talk some baddies? Yes, it's yeah. finally time to get into some... Villains. Oh, yeah, they're really good. Hey. Yep, so it's time to get into our villains with the members of Ouroboros. And we have Hans Chuckman, Creeb, and... And the boss, Jake Martinez. Jake uh, how... Martinez. <laughs> Fucking yeah. hell. <laughs> okay, uh, so Hans Chuckman is just kind of there to be the wacky... While uh, Cream and Jake are the two major bad guys in the first half of the show, with Jake thought to be the criminal responsible for killing Barnaby's parents, while Cream is his devoted partner in crime. Yeah, so basically these two are just the Joker and Harley Quinn of the show. Kind of, yeah, and their goal, their main goal essentially is to create a world where basically the next are the ones in charge and humans don't disrespect them. Basically, then if the humans if humans disrespected them. The next would basically murder and kill them, in a sense. Yep, uh, basically it's like if the Joker was Magneto for some reason. Yes, it's <laughs> that's also, the best way to describe it. I also really like that we actually get to see how, like, Cream basically becomes Harley Quinn. Yeah. Because it, that was genuinely, like, I see that exactly how that happened. Like, everybody's scared of you, thinks you're a freak. You're literally kidnapped for ransom by that guy, and they nobody calls or comes to give him the money. So he's Not just only so, that, but he actually gave a shit about her. He, he literally was like, "All right, I guess you're free to go." To which it's like, nobody wants me. Well, no, it's no. Before he lets her go, it's like, why are you letting people like? tell you how you should think you're like, better I than think, them I, already yeah we're better than them already i mean you're fine the way you are and cream just basically is like he saved me quote unquote <laughs> but um anyway who voices these three okay so playing Hans Schuckman, we have Vic Vignata. uh playing cream we have stephanie shade 
And for Jake, we have the one, the only, the only Mr. Stephen Bloom. I so I know this may be a first that we've brought up Steve Bloom on the show. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, this is definitely the first time we've ever brought him up. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay, so at this point, pretty much everyone knows who Dick Mediata is, even if you don't listen to Dumbs. Uh, but some of his other roles include Ikaku Manorame from Bleach, Mendoza from Garo the Animation, and of course, Edward Elric from both versions of Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, Stephanie Shea is another familiar name in anime, and you know her for roles such as Orihime Inoue from Bleach, Hidata Hyuga from the Naruto franchise, and Usaki Tsukino, aka Sailor Moon, from the Viz Redub for Sailor Moon. As for Steve Bloom, who is this motherfucker? I've never heard Probably. this name in my life. I've never heard this name in my life. Who is this strange individual? <laughs> okay. Okay, so also, even if you don't pay attention to Doves at all, this man has voice acting credits across so many different kinds of media that you are bound to have heard him in something somewhere. Question. And if not, and you are just... <laughs> and if you haven't, and you say you have not, you are fucking lying. Have, have you ever played a video game in your life? Have you ever watched Hi. a? Have you ever watched a cartoon in your life? If not, Hi. you're also fucking lying. <laughs> Doesn't he hold like the Guinness World Record for most voice acting? He does. Roles? No, like, at least in video yeah, games. yeah, he, he does. He does for video games. For, vid okay. for video games, yes, not for anime because that's Monica Real. Yeah. Okay, Anyways. I wasn't okay, sure uh, if it was just video games or like it was just video. Yeah, games. it was just video games. Yeah, yeah, it was just video games. Uh, but as far as anime goes, some of his most iconic roles include Orochimaru from the Naruto franchise, Bugen from Samurai Champloo, Gilmon from Dizzy Bond Tamers, and of course, Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Viva. Man, the myth, so, the legend. <laughs> so, uh, thoughts on these three fighting the Alright, these three. Okay, uh, Vic Mignogna does a really good job at playing the grunt, uh, skinhead Native American wannabe terrorist, which is a statement <laughs> I can say. So... Oh my god. He does a good it job at that. It is, because it's actually really true. He does a good job at that. <laughs> uh, Stephanie Shea does a great job at being eccentric, like, cutesy crazy. And she's also, like, not completely cutesy. She's also legitimately, like, threatening and scary at times, too. <laughs> which really works wonders for this kind of character, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. now, so yeah, I, I really like Stephanie a lot as Cream, and like, I felt for her in her arc, but I also genuinely was like, impressed at how like, cutesy freaky she was, and that's something Stephanie's really good at. Now the main act! Steve Bloom! Oh, Holy my. shit! I genuinely, when I saw this character, I expected another Orochimaru. It was like a mix of that as well as Mugen and Spike all at once. This was really impressive. Like, he was all at once kind of the gruff badass, but also the eccentric showboat as well. Because it's like, I, he's not just sort of tough, badly man. He's a showman. He's a showman. He wears the flashiest things you've ever seen in your life, and not one outfit is the same as the next. He's, he's really badass. He's really threatening. He actually had the city under hostage legitimately. Like, that was impressive. And he got to take people down one by one. And this was, like, the first time you really got to see the teamwork between 
Tiger Bunny work was to take him down. Steve's fantastic. He adds the crazy. He adds the eccentricity. He adds the showmanship. He adds the psychomantis type person. And he's he's so good. He steals the show in every time uh, Jake Martinez is on screen. He makes this character. It's fantastic. I'm so glad I got to talk about Steve Bloom on the show. He's so good. So good. I'm going to pee now. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for telling us that. <laughs> yes, you want to go back? <laughs> Please continue. Oh Please continue. <laughs> oh, Lord. I guess I should... I may as well go next at this point. Um, Vic Mignogna. I kind of want to... Hans Chuckman wasn't exactly a memorable character. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Because uh, I'm going to save my thoughts on Vic for a second. Uh, Stephanie Shea. One of my big things with voice actors sometimes is... A lot of times I'm very used to, the, to them playing this one kind of role. Same can be said for Vic too in this case. But... It's always a tr very nice treat for me when I get to hear them play something completely different. And in Stephanie's case, she, uh, like Andrew was describing her, she's basically this eccentric baddie. And between this and dare I bring up Mekon from um, Daigon Rampa here. Oh boy, Mekon. Jesus Christ. Um... This is a very interesting performance because, and I really enjoyed it because Kareem is a, is one of the more memorable baddies. She's definitely one of the memorable baddies, at least for the first half and the climax of the first half of the show. And I just fell in love with every second of the performance because she was both, she was both, um, she was eccentric, but she also was very manipulative. And it's and it was very enjoyable to see her play those two different sides. And then yeah, cuz this is the cuz this is the first time we actually are talking about Steve Bloom. I'm surprised we haven't by now. But oh dear lord. Dear dear lord. I think I at first had the problem when I saw Jake Martinez and I saw the credits and I knew it was Steve Bloom. I think when I first saw the character, it didn't click in my brain and I had moments where I was like, I feel like this Steve's voice might be a little too old for Jake Martinez. But then he put on the showmanship and very eccentric, maybe not flamboyant to a sense, but kind of out there. And, like Andrew was saying, it was so enjoyable. I loved every second, and he was such a memorable character in that first half of the show. I was just like, oh my god. And, kind of going back to um, Tara Plot as Agnes, a lot of the banter between Jake and Agnes was actually really well played out, too. Because part of the plan was to broadcast Jake's fights with all the heroes. And... Agnes was just having a ball talking to him, like, planning all this stuff out, even though she knew she was in on this plan to try and take him down. And that that back and forth was very interesting to see unfold, too. 
But yeah, Jake, Steve Lima's Jake, definitely, like, at first I was hesitant on it. But <laughs> the second he really got in there and got into it, I was on board fully. So I really enjoyed that as well as these other two performances. But again, I'm going to come back to Vic in a few minutes, and there's a reason for that. Okay, uh, Roots? Alright, so, um, because it's been, like, a New York minute since I've seen the first half of the dub, uh, I really don't remember Vic as Hans very well. Uh, okay, that's fine, he just got him there. Yeah, yeah he was, like, he's really the chopper <laughs> pilot, and that was it. He also served yeah. to being, uh, Origami Cyclone's disguise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was it. He was yeah. a plot device, basically. Basically. More or less. I, I wish I could remember that sequence with Origami Cyclone, but I can't. No, that was... But, he was um, he had all the power in that. Because he straight up comes to him, and he's looking at a magazine of all these heroes, and he turns to a page of Origami Cyclone, and it's like, that's a really cool power. Having the ability to turn into anybody... That's a really good power. That you could Jake use that for any sorts of espionage. Around. It's he like he holds around. the fucking knife. He holds the knife in your throat. He has all the power. This dude is fun, but he's scary. Jake Martinez does not fuck around, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah. Um as for Cream, while I do really like her as sort of the the manipulative kind of witchish figure. I I kind of like her a little better in the second half of the show when she wakes up from the coma. Mm, yep. She's kind of giving her her story to uh, Kotetsu and Barnaby, and she's just so defeated and subdued. Like that switch off is really hard to pull off and I'm really impressed with Stephanie Shea for her managing to do it but let's just get to it Jake Martinez Jake motherfucking Martinez <laughs> Steve Bloom um has he ever played the Joker before? Does anybody happen to know off the top of their head? Yeah, okay. um, he has been the Joker in Lego Batman, but that was after the show. Okay, mm, okay, okay. I'm I'm glad he got to play the Joker because Jake Martinez is the perfect fucking Joker archetype. He's played a lot of Batman villains. Now that I think about it, like in just about any medium outside of outside of the Joker, it it's really hard to do the Force of Nature villain. Yeah. Really hard to write him right. And Tiger and Bunny and Jake Martinez is one of those instances where it was really well done. I am really glad they put Steve Bloom as Jake Martinez. Like, I could think of a few other actors who might have been good as the role. But... Steve Blue made it his own. I don't think I could even go back to the subs of the first half because of that. Okay. Yeah, basically it's like he adds the right amount of like uniqueness probably to the role. He's a manic crazy man who wants to it see the world burn. Great. Also with a little he bit just of racism. He wants to set the world but... on fire. Actually, yeah, I was going to say racism, but now that I think about it, you're right. He does want a Magneto Genosha scenario. Yep. Yes, yes he does. Wait a minute. 
God, Jake Martinez is like the reverse Amon from uh, from Korra. Oh, the reverse oh, well. Amon. Oh, 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 yeah, I, I totally see that. They thing. both explode. Which, by the way, both are played by Steve Bloom. So and they both explode. <laughs> that's that's going way over my head. Uh, uh, Legend okay, of Korra. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, like Legend of Korra. Oh, okay, <laughs> now I know. Like I've the masked dude, the the evil. I know what leader. you're talking about now. I was like, wait, I don't know what to you're talking this day, about. To this day, I still feel season. immense joy of all the theories speculating who Mon was, and I'm like, what if it's just some guy? And it was just and some, it was guy! some guy. And that that's my favorite <laughs> turnout of that whole situation, aside from the SpongeBob man. It was just some fucker. Uh, anyways, Jet, let's hear your <laughs> final thoughts. Okay, um, so like you guys have already said, uh, Big Witch pretty much just here to be expendable, and a uh, poor guy was pretty much dude running right something he met his boss. Uh, but it was sort of interesting seeing Big be a grunt for a change, and the brief time we spent with him was pretty fine. Um, so I have to say, I was very surprised when I saw that Stephanie Shea was cream, because, um, this was back when everyone pretty much just associated her with roles like Hinata or Orihime. Uh, but she did a really good job of playing like the soul-free kind of cold villain. And uh, if I had to have like one little nitpick here, well, it's not really a nitpick so much as something I would have kind of liked to see that. If they, they didn't have her do like a little bit of a Jersey accent because like, she, the character is truly supposed to be Harley Quinn. So I feel like if they just threw that in there just for the heck of it, that would have been really funny. <laughs> okay, uh, but either way, I thought she did great. And um, as for Steve Bloom, I mean, honestly, it's really kind of hard to come up with a great serious critique of the man because he's just really good at everything he does. Like, Steve Bloom's brought a lot of life to personalities we all know and love, villains included. Um, so it's no surprise that his working was pretty much fantastic. Like you guys already said, he really sold Jake's crazy personality. And, he, and I really dug how able he would go, how effectively he was able to go from like pure ham to being downright terrified without ever sniffing a beat. And uh, you can really tell he was having a ton of fun with that performance. Uh, like Stephanie Shea, I'd be lying if I said I wish he could go with like a little bit more jokery because again, it's a pretty obvious spoof. Uh, but like most things he does, Stephen Bloom really made the character his own, and it's uh, easily one of my favorite performances from this entire dub. Okay, uh, so any other thoughts on these three, or are we ready to move on? Well, More villains. let's put it like this. Uh, Jake, he took my heart, and then he exploded. <laughs> <sighs> let's get he, to some right. spoiler. More villains! Yep. Spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> spoiler. Yep, okay, yep. So, continuing down our villain list, and yes, we're going into extreme spoiler territory. Massive it's spoiler time territory. for the the realist villain of the entire series. The capitalistic Fuck billionaire. Fuck this man. <laughs> yep, so, yep, so we have the two main villains of the show's second half. Dr. Rockvog and Albert Maverick. Fuck this man. Uh, <laughs> I hate okay, this son uh, of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so Dr. Rotvog is a scientist who worked with Farsby's parents in robotics, uh, but became obsessed with creating robots that could defeat them. And he's a racist! Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. Because the theme of the day is racism and capitalism, everybody. The two most okay, prevalent uh, things that still exist. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. Topical. Yep. 
Okay, so Mr. Maverick, on the other hand, is one of the founders of Hero TV and celebrated as an ally of heroes. Well, big spoilers in three, two, one. He killed Barnaby's re- parents. <laughs> yes, he is. He has ties to the crime syndicate Ouroboros. And yes, he is the one who is actually responsible for the death of Barnaby. He also has like parent killers. He also has like the single scariest power in this entire show. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because the, yes, he does. The, how he managed to get away with it is with Barnaby is he base he has the power to manipulate memories. So he when he killed Barnaby's parents, he manipulated Barnaby's memory and so that way he couldn't really remember. And because that's one of the big storylines about the show is Barnaby trying to find out who killed his parents and avenge their deaths. It's in Barnaby's case. And when we kind of get to him, this is probably going to be more of a bigger discussion. It's very interesting to see Barnaby work on trying to regain his memories that Maverick just downright altered. It's very interesting. Uh, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny to bring that up because, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny to bring that up because, uh, I think you really kind of have to wonder upon like rewalking the show is, do you think this is the first time Barnaby's ever found out? Because you got to think about it. He's been looking for his parents' killer for like 20 years. Oh, God. Now. This cannot possibly be the first That's time That's a good point. And you would never yeah. know. You would never know. He would never know. Isn't that well, fucked? I, I feel like, though, he it might have been the first time he discovered only because he probably wasn't allowed or given the resources before he became an official hero. Okay. Because yeah. I feel like it might be one. It might be one of those things like when you become a hero, you get a, access to a lot more resources to investigate things like this. And Barnaby probably before that didn't have as much access. He was trying to do things like on the down low and try to figure it out, which of course led him into extreme t- going with extremely lo- wrong leads, like going off of that. So I feel like once he became an official hero, and because. Probably the factors I would say is him becoming a hero, giving him getting access to more resources, and probably because of Kotetsu's assistance, it's probably why he ended up finding everything out. So, there's an important question at play. Who are the men voicing these very evil men? Ooh. Yes, okay, okay, so playing Dr. Rock, we have Vic Vignana again, as he pulls double duty on this show. Fucking double Miss- duty, <laughs> Studiopolis, what is wrong with you? I don't actually This is think the one that- I was mad about. I don't even think it's that big a deal, but it is funny that he's- as, uh, uh, so uh, uh, I, 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 Honestly, as, okay, honestly, I'm not as mad about it as I would be with, like, say, Turk Thornton, because Vic does play these two very differently. I mean, that's fair, so but it, it's it, still it, recognized. I'll, I'll, I'll get to it in a minute, just keep going. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah, like, it's recognizable, but I think he plays them- Differently enough, I'll, that it works. I'll, I'll rant in a minute here. Just, just keep going. That's, that's okay. But anyway, uh, Mr. Maverick is played by Jameson Price. Because, okay. of course, it is. <laughs> yep, uh, Jameson Price has a pretty long history with anime, and you know, for roles such as the Skull Knight from Berserk, Metal Knight from One Punch Man, and of course, Ryder from Fate. He's Rider. also best dad, best bro, Sojiro Sakura from Persona Five. No, no. Yes. I would say the best role he's had, the motherfucking Count of Monte Cristo. Wait, wait, wait! No, he's Ryder. He's Ryder. He's goddamn. Yeah. Gil- he's Ryder. He's. I don't yeah, care. Yeah, Jet mentioned that. All oh, right, I. He yeah, mentioned I, that. I, I, ju- I literally just mentioned. I was just mentioned that, but I was too busy thinking about how Sojiro's the best. Forgive me. Pay the fuck attention, but it doesn't matter because 
the count of Monte Cristo, motherfuckers. Okay. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> I okay. kind of have right. to disagree, so... and I'm going to have to go with Andrew on the King of Fucking Conquerors. No. He's <laughs> Condor. <laughs> Can Fuck we just you. agree that this man has the sexiest fucking voice in the world and just leave yes. it at that? Because goddamn! Goddamn! is is <laughs> yep, which makes it all the worse that he plays like the creepy man who alters people's memories. Oh, God. And all that, no, like, no, and, no, it gets even worse when you consider like the way in which, like, the shot, how the shot sprayed when you found out. Mm. <laughs> he also has like the most old. Yeah. He's also given the most unsuspecting old man face in the world. Because he's got like, he's got so many wrinkles, complete gray hair, and like. I don't even think it's a pimple. It's like what? What? What is that? A growth? Yeah, it's of. like it's yeah, like an old, it's like an like old a boil. skin. A, it's like an old skin growth where it's like you can't really pop it. It just it it's old man face and it looks gross. <laughs> old oh, man spot. face. Liver spot. That's what they call them. What? Liver spot. Liver spot. He has a liver spot. But old man. Face. You would never think somebody with such a <laughs> sexy voice and such a gross old person face would be such an evil piece of shit. Or actually, maybe you would. I don't know. Anyways, uh, Jameson Price. It was one of those weird situations where. He just looks so inconspicuous. It was suspicious to me. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're kind of right. No. But yeah. Here's the here's the thing. The man was not inconspicuous to me. You want to know why? Why? Because before before we recorded this and while I was going through the show, I had asked Jet like what characters are going to be covering, and he purposefully omitted two people from this. I knew instantly Maverick was one of them. Because <laughs> I'm like, he's in the show for the majority of the time. Clearly, he's going to have some sort of involvement at the end of the show. Like, of course, I'm like, the more the show kept going, I'm like, it's going to be Maverick, isn't it? Maverick is the big baddie, isn't it? And then it happened, and I'm like, fuck this man. <laughs> he can die in a fire. But he does. He does. He does. Okay, <laughs> It's like, ah. I know I shouldn't be celebrating that, but it's the reason why people like the Punisher. It's so satisfying, because that man can just die, and he did. Thank you, thank you, Sir Liam O'Brien, for doing what all of us wanted to do. But especially we are incurring vigilantism, which is definitely a thing to find No, up. we're not. Anyways, uh, Jameson Pierce, he's so good at being this supportive like, kind-hearted leader and, like, father figure to Barnaby, which does make it all the more heart-wrenching when he does turn and show his true colors. And he is so diabolical once he gets in the evil man chair that he just... He fits both parts, because he can simultaneously be, like, your best friend and the guy who is so good for the camera and also just the creepiest really creepy person and it's so good i he's one of the best in the show in my opinion uh vic Mignotta does a good job at being the creepy the creepy robo racist who needs to blow his fucking nose <laughs> like good god rudolph's looking at that and being like damn son get a tissue or something fuck <laughs> 
son, go blow your nose! I don't feel bad for insulting his aesthetic appearances since he is, in fact, a racist piece of shit. Yes, he is a racist piece of shit. And Vic Vignata does a good job at playing evil, creepy pieces of shit. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) snap. So, this is the reason why I wanted to save my thoughts on Vic Vignata, because, again, Studiopolis, why? Why? I, I'm not a fan of this double duty bullshit. Um, but here's the thing: both, uh, both Rotwang and Hans Chuckman, they Vic played them both with enough distinction that you can tell they're two separate characters. But it's still Vic Mignogna voicing these characters, so that kind of took me out of it a bit. However, Rotwang was probably the more memorable between the two. So I really enjoyed his performance of Rotwang compared to Hans Chuckman. And the reason, the, again, like I was saying when it came to like Stephanie Shea or some other voice actors, I enjoy when they don't get the, when they get the play outside of their archetype. And Vic Mignogna, for the longest ass time, usually plays these goody two shoes hero type of roles. But and I want to say maybe this is potentially kind of a start for him playing more villain type roles. And uh, may uh, I yes. said maybe, maybe. He's played a lot. No, Clay more. Holy shit, he, he, Claymore. He, he, he's amazing. Uh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Like he's played a lot, but this was him playing more villain roles is amazing. Because when you were talking about him before and you brought up the credits like Mendoza from Garo especially, I still haven't finished the entire dub of Garo, but like the first few episodes that I had watched originally a couple years back, I'm like, this is perfect. I love this. Please have him play more villains. And to see him basically play a crazy racist asshole in a sense <laughs> is phenomenal to me. And then we have Jameson Price, which this isn't the first time where Jameson has played a non-suspecting baddie of sorts. Because call him a non-suspecting baddie, call him an anti-hero. He did the same thing in Gunkotsuo, where the Count, if you're not familiar with the story, you see the Count as this very supportive and nice... Um, aristocrat towards Albert and then you start learning more about his past and then he becomes this uh, about his revenge and he becomes this villain and I think that's more of the epitome of Jameson's vocal work and his career in a sense not this it is still enjoyable but I've seen him play it a lot better I've seen him play a similar character but like, but it's much more well done than this. I still enjoy the performance for what it is, and it's definitely it's definitely one of the stronger performances. But I have seen him do something similar, and I have seen him do it better. That's my only takeaway from it. Um, but that doesn't mean this guy still doesn't deserve to die in a fucking fire, which he does. Thank sweet baby Jesus. Because um, again, it's one of those things and. Because we recorded Ghostic a few days ago, actually. It's one of those things where 
the performance was very well done to the point where I wanted to see this motherfucker burn. And Jameson, Jameson is a phenomenal actor and he can pull off some amazing performances. And the, I know the big difference between the Count from Gunkozuo and Maverick here. The Count has more of a tragic story. Maverick is just a dirty, conniving asshole. That's the difference. That's the main difference between these these two characters, despite the performances being fairly similar in that regard. So, kudos to Jameson Price for being that sneaky, sneaky bastard that I want to punch into the sun. Thank you for that. It was very believable. Very, very believable. But yeah, I did enjoy both of these performances, but especially in Vic's case, since he did pull double duty in both halves of the show, I think Rot Wang was much more memorable um, compared to Hans Chuckman. Okay. Uh, so what about you, Roots? Okay, so yeah, Rot Wang was sort of the more memorable of the two Vic roles. Especially, namely, because I literally just watched the last couple episodes of Tiger and Bunny a few hours ago. He is basically your racist uncle at the Thanksgiving table trying to make robots. <laughs> I love that and he's like a Bond villain, too. Kind of on that the side. That is amazing. Man, <laughs> don't you hate all the Mexicans stealing our jobs? What if we made robots to do those jobs instead? They took our jobs! They took our jobs! Sorry. What? Okay, in my defense, in my defense, that seems like you're playing the... Oh, whatever, who cares? No, no, I was... Never mind. Okay, hold on, hold on, let me... Let me get back in the zone, I'll say my joke. Please. Cracks open a beer at the Thanksgiving table. Hey, Timmy. You hear about them next? <laughs> them superhero bastards taking oh our jobs. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is basically... Glug, glug, burp. That is Rot Wong's character in a nutshell. I can make robots. Uncle Ricky, please. I can make robots that can do the superhero job. Please get off the table. You're not even wearing pants anymore. What are you doing to that I do what I want. Please get off of the turkey, Uncle Ricky. Don't tell me how to live my life, you son of a bitch. I'll shit and I'll do what I want. Uncle Ricky, please. please. I went to school for robotics, bitch. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm done. That's, That's great. But, um, yeah. I, I really like the sort of, um, kind of like the archetypal movie villain, kind of not quite German accent he gives to, uh, Rotwang. That, that, that voice that you know in the back of your mind is just conniving and and I <laughs> I also kind of like kind of like the fact that he gets a chump death oh yeah like, he's like save end. me save me it's like oh yeah by the fucking by I'm a next by the way piece I'm a shit. fucking next kid kicks him off can I also say, because we, we, when we were talking about Liam O'Brien as a lunatic, they didn't bother hiding the fact that Rod Wang was a fucking villain. Oh, no. <laughs> they denied that the, shit. The, uh, okay, the, they did not. They just hide and they just hid how relevant he was. Yes. Like, it seemed like, okay, maybe he'll just stick around for one episode and 
Yeah, you came back again. <laughs> they don't hide and, that shit. And Jameson Price. Ooh. Ooh. Like, from the beginning... From the beginning of watching the Japanese, I knew the character was going to be a snake. I knew it. Just because he was so inconspicuous. Inconspicuous billionaires are always the villain. Like, that is the rule in entertainment. The more... <sighs> the more low-key a billionaire character is, the more evil they secretly are in the background. But, um... Back to the English version and Jameson Price... It felt like he didn't care. And that was really awesome. Like, <laughs> he could not give two shits about <clears throat> like I don't want to I don't want this to sound like an insult but it it seemed like he couldn't give two shits if he was able to make this character seem inconspicuous or not <laughs> like he is intimidating okay, yeah, yeah. as hell the entire show and then when the big reveal comes, oh yeah, Barnaby, I killed your parents. Fuck you. It's well, just a casual thing. Well, at that point, drops. he knows, like, oh well, might as well just say it to get off my mind. You're not gonna remember it. But I'm, I'm about to raise your. I'm about to change your memory. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, like. Oh, yeah, I really yeah. love. I really, like, I really love how. Fuck you. I really, no. Yep, I really love how subtle the tea scene is. <laughs> yeah, he's just so nonchalant about half the shit he does. Oh, can we talk about the fact that we spent that entire scene trying to kill Kotetsu? That and was everything came up. Everything went wrong. It's like, oops, I dropped my thing. Whoops, it's in the couch. Oh, I gotta take this call. Boy, look at that plane! Oh, look, it's a picture of me! Oh, look, squirrel! Wait, what's that laser doing there? <laughs> what's that laser doing there? Why is that laser on my forehead? Before. That wasn't on my head before. What it's, is that laser, man? It's like you, you see him just grab a gun off of his wall or something and be like, Boy, look at me. I'm a cool cowboy. Bye. Let's see if this works. Boy, this looks good next to my face. I wonder how it tastes. And he's just sort of sweating the whole time. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, Maverick is so... That I entire sequence, like, Kotetsu was like a turkey. Because, like, the fun thing about turkeys is you got to keep them out of the rain or they'll look up and keep their mouth open and they'll drown. Yeah. And, uh, and I love how um, during the whole bit with Barnaby when he's telling him, like, yeah, I did kill your parents. He's so nonchalant about it. It's like, yeah, so this happened and this happened. No biggie. And Barnaby's just sitting there, like, crying tears, like, no! In a, I'll say this, I'll say this, at Maverick's behalf. I understand the logic of how he went down this path. I understand it's, like, genuinely, people didn't like necks, and there was no extravagant crimes to really make them look cool. So he had, so he basically the idea of staging it by turning to illicit shit to make it that more exciting and make the it, I get how it happened, but somewhere along the way he turned the lie and like as soon as like he wasn't clean he wasn't into coming clean ever. That's when it's like you've gone too far. You need to be stopped. Yeah. 
And the, yeah. the great thing about that is he's not even, like, the highest up in the Ouroboros food chain. We don't no. know who the highest is in the no, Ouroboros no. food chain. Because <laughs> reasons that we'll talk about. Yeah, it's reasons. reasons. Okay. Like, he's just right, like, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm, I'm not even the boss of Ouroboros. Fuck you. Memory wipe. Yeah, memory wipe <laughs> turns into, a, like, a vegetable... A mindless zombie, and then, and then dies he becomes in a, a microwave potato. <laughs> I guess microwave oh. potato. <laughs> Thank you, <All> lunatic. Right. <laughs> okay, so I guess I'll go. Yes, please. All right. Okay, so you know what Boba Vic's characters in this show have in common? What? Both be both be dead, and both died the exact same way, getting backstabbed by their bosses. That is very true. <laughs> I forgot about that. Also falling! <laughs> yes! Both very true uh, facts! Uh, poor. Yeah, so basically Vic just really couldn't catch a break this time. No! He's, he's <laughs> that. He, you almost feel bad for him because he didn't get catch a break at any. either of his characters. It's kind of hilarious. Yeah, okay, uh, so bad jokes aside, this was one of the first times I've ever really heard Vic Villana in like a major villain role, you know, like a time from your girlies and whatnot. Um, so while it's not exactly, like, a super standout, I really appreciate, like, the level of slide he got off here. And I was glad he was able to differentiate it enough from how he played Chuckman to make both roles distinct. Okay, and as far as Maverick goes, boy, howdy, this guy's a slyball. And it's really interesting getting up to that whole revelation, because like you guys said, you can kind of suspect something's up with him, and you can really sort of suspect something's up with him, like, during the... Well, like, climax of the first half of the show when he's, like, uh, taking charge over Mayor Obama. Yes, like, the mayor of this city looks like Obama for some weird reason. <laughs> okay, uh, anime. But... <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah, but again, it doesn't really fully click until that whole teacup scene and then he goes full on ability. And then it gets even worse and he pretty much admits he doesn't even have to go this far out of his way to throw over Kotetsu, but he just does. I am assuming he did that just purely because of the whole ruined teacup thing. He was like, he was like screw maybe, it. Maybe, hold on. maybe the tea wasn't even poisoned. He was just so proud of how good his tea is that he's just like, you fucking left without drinking my tea. I'm going to destroy your fucking life. Oh my god. If that's, if that's the reason, that's the stupidest fucking motivation ever. Or is it the best you motivation? Know, for a billionaire. Oh, for a no, slighted billionaire, that's dumb. a really good excuse. No, that's dope. That's very stupid. <laughs> Let's face it, it's a fucking stupid motivation. He probably got that tea all the way from Nepal. Come on, take a cup. That's a petty reason, though. A stupid and petty. <laughs> I've heard yeah, Dylan. Dylan. You, Dylan. I know characters no, no, you didn't drink my tea, so I'm gonna turn everyone against you and frame you for a fucking murder. That's how. That's you. You don't drink my tea, bitch. This is what happens. That's the most pettiest <laughs> shit I've ever seen. Well, you uncultured swine. Okay, well, okay, well, if you think about that, it would make this more of a superhero show, so honestly. But yeah, no, he's really good. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay but, okay, but anyway, like you guys said, I spent pretty much this entire arc waiting for him to get some serious comeuppance. Uh, but at the same time, though, like Bruce was kind of saying, like, for all the horrible things he does here, his actions 
are largely responsible for, for why heroes and decks are so well respected. Yeah. Uh, so I so I do kind of like that angle. So it sort of makes it like okay, like it doesn't excuse anybody does, but it does sort of make him a little bit more understandable. It really kind of demonstrates like how much corruption is kind of going on behind the scenes, and it does sort of make like the whole corporate angle of the show more interesting. Uh, so anyway, Jameson Price does a really fantastic job of shifting from the kindly old grandpa routine to full-on scumbag, and he did a really great job of making me hate this guy, and there really isn't a, high, a higher form of flattery you can give when it comes to villain roles. So thank you, Jameson Price. If you want to kill a son of a bitch, you done good. Alright, so are you finally ready to go to our heroes? Or? Let's go to our heroes gallery. Time. We get to talk about the best hero of the show. I'm so happy. I uh, want to yes. know what so, your best is. I think we might be on the same page. Okay, okay, so now it's time to dive into our main cast of heroes. So we'll start off with the male half of the lineup. We have Antonio Lopez, a.k.a. Rock Dyson, Ivan... Okay, uh, God, I'm probably going to put it away. I'm not going to try. Ivan, a.k.a. Origami Cyclone. And Keith Goodman, a.k.a. Sky High. Sky High is uh, the best! Fuck you. <laughs> okay, so Rock Bison and Origami Cyclone are among the lower-ranked heroes. Uh, both kind of have trouble taking the spotlight. Uh, Sky High, on the other hand, is one of the king of heroes. And begins the series as the highest rank and most well-respected of all the heroes. Okay, so playing these five gentlemen, we have, as Rock Bison, Travis Willingham. Which is, I think, the first time we actually get to talk about Travis Willingham, which is awesome. Yes, uh, playing Origami Cyclone, we have Mr. Michael Nicholas, And playing Sky High, we have the illustrious Patrick Sykes. Um, okay, so as far as Travis Willingham goes, he hasn't been in anime in a good while. But you know him for roles such as Roy Mustang from Full Metal Alchemist. Free from Soul Eater and Portagas the Ace from One Piece. Uh, Michael Tentanilicolis, on the other hand, is known more for his directing credits, but some of his roles include uh, Saratobi Sasuke from Sengoku Basara, um, Taki Tachibana from Your Name, and Moritaka Mashiro from Makaban. And Patrick Sykes is, of course, a very familiar face in anime roles, and some of his work includes Wolfgang Grimmer from Monster, yes. Ubogin from Hunter x Hunter, and Endeavor from My Hero Academia. So, I gotta ask, how long do you think Sky High was sitting at that water fountain? Oh, you just opened <laughs> that! Oh, you no. bastard! No. You son of a bitch! No! That is not okay! That is not okay! I had to bring it up at some point! I know, you did! Sky High is like Seymour the dog! Sky High, Sky High, unironically, is the best boy. He's the best boy. He is such a good, good boy. Look at the size of his pupper. Nobody with a pupper that big can be bad. Nobody. <laughs> oh, God. That's a woofer right there. That is a woofer. It's such a good little woofer. Man, that, I would say... Oh god, oh god, terrible joke incoming. <clears throat> oh no. I would I yeah, would say the woofer is a chick magnet, but I think it might have taken the magnet part a little too literally. Oh. <laughs> I made myself sad with that one. 
Okay. You dug your own grave, Andrew. Okay, uh, so you want to go first, uh, Andrew? Yes, I want to go first. <laughs> uh, uh, Patrick Sykes is always fantastic every time I get the chance to hear him, but this is the one where he's basically just a giant warm cinnamon roll. And it's great. And he's just basically this huge dork. He's really good at what he does. But even, like, off the clock, like, everybody's pretty casual and laid back. He's the one that's the most, like, awkward of all of them when it comes to regular conversation. He's just this kind of huge goof. And I really appreciate that. And, like, he's so genuinely, like, distraught. Like, he's he doesn't even hate he doesn't even hate Barnaby because he lost his role. He's just sad that he thinks he's failing the people and he's failing himself. And that genuinely is like, you feel that. And the fact that, like, that whole episode where he fights the robot and wins and he wants to brag and, like, I, you helped me get my groove back. And she never shows up and it's like, oh, that hurts me so. Um, a rock bison. Okay, anyways, to sum up, Patrick Sykes. He's so good. He's so amazing. I love him so. Travis Willingham's really good at being Rock Bison. He's basically, like, before Kotetsu really gets to be big again, he's basically, like, his actual buddy that's trying to help him out. And he's his drinking buddy. He does a really, go really good job being the casual, laid-back, gruff boy. And he does a really good job at it. He actually does get a couple of cool moments. But the fact that he's basically the big tough guy gets him in some awkward situations sometimes, which is kind of funny, but he's surprisingly competent when push comes to shove, even though he sort of becomes a butt monkey later on. All in all, I do still really like Travis Willingham. We don't get to talk about him enough, but he's been busy doing other things. Speaking of Punisher, he was in that trailer where he got fucking killed by the Punisher. Anyways, um, who else? Uh, oh yeah, Origami Cyclone. Origami Cyclone's really interesting. I, he He's also, he's the opposite of Sky High, where basically Sky High is a goof off the clock and is heroic on the clock. Origami is kind of emo off the clock, but a huge goof on the clock, basically trying to shove himself in because he doesn't know what to do. But he's got a really good power, but there's not it's not quite as show-offy as any of the others, that's why his arc's really interesting. And man, that is the most unfortunate situation that could have happened to his friend. Because straight up, that's just... He wanted to step in, he couldn't control the situation, and the gun went off and killed the civilian. That's rough. And I genuinely feel bad for that kid, even though he got very evil, I'm gonna take my revenge. But that still sucks. All in all, Origami though, he's a really good kid. Michael Center Nicholas... He does a really good job at playing the awkward uh, deed venture, but he's really good at it, and he's an interesting character, and I had a lot of respect for him during the Jake Martinez thing where he did straight-up dangerous espionage. That was really cool. I think Michael Sinner Nicholas does a good job being very young, like young, awkward-sounding, but being heroic and goofy when, when he wants to, and I was very impressed with all three. And I'm done. Okay, uh, Lilac? Um, what I kind of find interesting, like, looking through these characters again really quick, is in terms of... I, I think it's probably Rock Bison and maybe Fire Emblem. Out of all of the major heroes we see throughout the show, 
they all have some sort of episode where there's a good amount of development for their character. Fire Emblem, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, but and Rock Bison especially, they don't really have anything. Um, you... Fire Emblem is gets it, uh, one of the movies. Is it, uh, yeah, the second movie he gets. It okay. Okay, okay, I didn't know that either. I didn't know that, but in terms of the show, I'm just saying, like, you don't right, really right. have... <laughs> we don't really have any kind of character arc or development for Rock Bison and Fire Emblem. So for Travis, in his case, at Rock Bison... I enjoyed it because he was a tough, like, good drinking buddy kind of pal. Um, the characters themselves, I just wish had more development to them. And especially seeing his struggle to try and make it to the, back to the top as well. But, like, comparing him to Patrick as Sky High, like Andrew was saying, he's basically a precious cinnamon roll. Um, and seeing his little short development... Going from being the number one hero down to, like, m maybe, like, one or two spots down. And potentially seeing problems with his career, but mostly in the vein of, I'm not a good enough hero for these civilians anymore. Like, what can I do to fix that? And his, uh, his little story for that episode was rather adorable. But I'm here... To talk about the best fucking hero in the show. It's not Sky High. Fuck you, fight me. It's Origami Cyclone because the motherfucker is literally sponsored by anime. Okay, you know what? Origami Cyclone's a fair choice, too. Yes, but... <laughs> but not just that, though. I find Origami Cyclone's story probably one of the more interesting ones to me throughout the show and among the main villain um, villains wow the main heroes that we see because he goes through this struggle of my power isn't actually that useful in situations like this like I don't understand why I should have been a hero and like Andrew was bringing up the story of the confrontation that him and his friend um, ran into when they were still in school and they legally weren't allowed to do anything because they're not licensed heroes. And the struggle that Michael Sinter Nicholas had to go through, oh, excuse me, when facing like that dilemma and him choosing not to intervene compared to his friend, and then his friend essentially getting arrested for this murder and going through that whole ordeal, it's very, it was very interesting character arc for Origami Cyclone's character, and I enjoyed it very, very much when Michael got to play that. But, yeah, it overall, like, all three of them are very solid performances. I wish we could talk more about Travis Willingham more often, but the man, of course, is not really involved in anime anymore, similar to another voice actor who we'll get to in probably a minute. He's, but, he's busy, though. He's still voice acting and doing a lot of things. He's still voicing in general, but not in anime. That's true. Which is very depressing to me. But um, all three played these roles very, very well. It's just out of the three of them, even though they were very solid, I think I think Michael Center Nicholas is probably my favorite because he, he was very, very adorable. as <laughs> origami cyclone. And the man is literally sponsored by anime. Who wouldn't want that as your favorite hero? Come on now. Okay. Um, 
I'm actually with Lilac on Origami Cyclone being best boy. Yeah, buddy. Like, he's just the lovable Russian weeaboo, and it's great. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Right. I, I also like his character art so much. Because he, he's trying to learn how to use his powers in a situation where, you know, you gotta be flashy, you gotta be on the spot, you gotta, you know, big, big powers launching at people to arrest them. Or, or save hostages or people in disasters. And his power is not really designed for that. But it's useful. And him coming to grips with that fact, it's pretty relatable. Yeah, his story mm -hmm. is probably one of the more relatable ones out of all these characters. And not to mention, you know, when Origami Cyclone's infiltrating the... Uh, the little Ouroboros hideout with Jake Martinez, we, we kind of discussed a scene a little earlier where he's just like, you know this where Jake Martinez is pointing to the magazine with Origami Cyclone, he's like, you see this guy? I'd be afraid of this guy. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just that you can kind of feel like, oh shit, have I been pinched? Mm. Like he you can just hear Michael Sinter Nicholas kind of panicking internally. Yeah. Even though I guess it, I guess it would be Vic externally, but right. Didn't he have like an interior monologue where yeah, he was Vic, kind of panicking? Vic, uh, Mike does yeah. a good job being Vic. I I think I I don't like I think during that spiel with Jake Martinez he didn't say anything, but then he accident like when he was done he accidentally slipped up and it was Michael who came through not Vic. You're right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah you're right. He did. Yeah. Yeah, but you, you kind of knew after, you know, the revelation of Jake Martinez having a second next ability of, you know, telepathy. Yeah. yeah Laser beams and telepathy screwed. is a good combination of powers to fuck people over with. Actually, no, it wasn't even laser beams. It was, like, barriers that he could turn yeah, into. You're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. It's like, you're right, it was barriers. But, um... Yeah. I also really like Travis Willingham's. Again, kind of relatable. He's at the bottom of the tier list. Mm -hmm. He's trying to work his way back up. He's drinking buddies with another guy on the bottom of the tier list. Right. Who is also trying to raise himself up. And, God... Mm -hmm. Patrick Seitz is sky high. Like, what can I say? What a lovable little cinnamon roll that one is. Thanks a lot, and thanks again. That's what you say. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And him Fox. waiting at the water fountain, like, uh, like Seymour the dog in Futurama. Breaks oh. uh, yeah. oh. your heart. I really appreciate that they didn't even join have that word. They just end this. They just end that's the how you do right it. Yeah, that's how that's you how do, you do it. it. That is how you do it. That's perfect. Yeah, that was but yeah, perfect. All, all three of the guys were just were just great. 13 <sighs> out of 10 would watch again. <laughs> <laughs> Origami Cyclone yeah. Best Hero. Uh, no, 13 out of 10. Would explore backstory further. Oh, wait. But we'll get to that. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. 
Okay, um, so this was one of Travis Willingham's first major Cali roles while the size of Naruto stuff. Um, so it was pretty nice to see him here. And while it's pretty unfortunate he got the short end of the stick here because poor Rock Bison just can't really catch a break. Nope. He ends up dead last in the hero rankings, he gets the least amount of screen time, and poor guy doesn't even get his own episode. Well, technically Fire Emblem doesn't either, but he does get his backstory in the second movie, so there's that. Okay, but anyway, Travis Willikamp did a really good job of playing the butt monkey here. And uh, for what it was given, he did a lot to make Rock Bison feel really likable and relatable. Just, just please give the guy his own episode of the future sunrise, like, seriously. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> we'll oh, get to that. Wait. We'll get to that. We're building up to it. <laughs> yeah, oh, we are. <laughs> okay. Uh, I liked Origami Cycle a lot too, and I thought his episode was one of the best parts of the show's first half. Uh, his whole conflict over whether or not he was cut out for hero work was pretty good. And I really like how that played into the Jake stuff later on. And then, as far as Sky High goes, he's a precious cinnamon roll, and I won't hear anyone say otherwise. Damn right! Fuck <laughs> yeah. you! No, no, you know, like, it's pretty nice too, because they could have equally pulled what they did with Mr. Legend and made him into a jerk beneath the mask. But no, instead he's just a really lovable goofball who takes pride in what he does. And I really love that whole bit in the second half where he's worried over whether or not he can really live up to people's expectations. Yeah, that's it a lot. very interesting story. Like, he's yeah. a lovable goof with the mask on, and he's an yep. even more lovable goof with the mask off. Yep. Yeah, like, in a, yep, in a lot of ways he almost feels like the prototype for All Might. And the way Patrick Sides plays both sides of him is part of why I had actually originally wanted Patrick Sides for all my life. Oh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, but anyway, I was very happy with all three of these gentlemen here, and given how high my expectations were for this game, that really saves a lot. I mean, honestly, so I, good I, on I, honestly, I might not be surprised if the original mangaka for my hero maybe got some inspiration from Sky High here. Maybe, like, timing would have been... He was definitely... It, uh, the series came out in, like, 2014, so this had probably been... Like, he was already a big superhero otaku already, so it was probably a show he really liked. You never know. Probably, so it's very possible. But it's very clear. Anyways, it, I, I like all three of them, but I think, all in all, I think we've indulged a little bit too much in the... Uh, the masculine girth and strength. I think we need something... Let's talk about them ladies. Let's talk about the... The, yeah. the femme... No, the femme fatales, if you will. Them ladies. It's, yes, it's, yes, it's finally time to get to some girl power farm lady heroes. Yeah. We have... Okay, uh, we have Paladin Huang, a.k.a. Dragon Kid, Nathan Seymour, a.k.a. Fire Emblem, and... Karina Lyle, a.k.a. Blue Rose. I'm sorry, Boy, I realized this. Boy, howdy, is it really listening. hard? It really is hard not to say, like, uh... Selena Kyle? <laughs> yeah, Selena Kyle. Fucking Catwoman? I keep Because that. that comparison is not obvious. Not in the least. <laughs> okay, so Dragon Kid is a young hero who's a bit of a tomboy, while Fire Emblem is a hero who runs a successful company and is kind of the big sister of the group. And He's kind Blue of flamboyant. Uh, uh, yes, very flamboyant. Uh, Blue Rose, on the other hand, is considered the idol of the hero world, but actually aspires to be a singer instead, and struggles with working in the hero biz. Uh, so, playing Dragon Kid, we have Miss Laura Bailey. Woo! Playing 
Fire Emblem, we have John Eric Bentley, and for Blue Rose, we have Kenny Walgren again. Kari. Kari like Ferrari. Get it right. Get it right. Now, what have, <laughs> I got what, you, Kari. I got you, Kari. What have these actors yes. and actresses played, Jet? Oh, boy. Okay, so Laura Bailey is uh, pretty well-known in anime at this point, even though she hasn't been heard in a while. And you know her for roles such as Kid Trunks in Dragon Ball Z, Maka Albar from Soul Eater, and Emily from Glitter Force. I'm sorry, I had to plug that in those okay. <laughs> Didn't you do that earlier? Okay, uh, yes, yes, I did, and I won't stop because it's a God weird. damn it. Stop it. <laughs> Okay, as for John Eric Bentley, this show was actually his very first anime role. Okay. Uh, but he has since gone on to do other roles, such as Nick Fury for in Marvel Discourse. Mm. We never got that dub here. Uh, and also in Avengers Black Widow and Punisher. Okay. As well as Tiger's Eye and the Viz Redub of Sailor Moon. So he's done a lot of oh. other superhero stuff. Wait, who? Okay. Hmm? Tiger's okay, Eye? so yeah. that's who they got to play Tiger Eye. That's, that's uh, yeah. They he was credited as uh, John Eric for some reason, but I'm pretty sure that's it. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's see. Uh, where do we start? And Kari Walgren. Yes. Okay. We. I already. Oh right, because she was grandma. <laughs> you You're about, right. Oh, she yeah, was grandma. To, uh, My uh, bad. Like, uh, like I could probably like I could probably find some other roles. No, no. You, you uh, made your point. Um, like coolie. okay, like I mean, okay, I'll read it. No, like. Oh, not Abaday. What is it? Um, Isn't she yeah. Saber in yes. one of the... She's Saber in the Fate. She's Saber in Saber in Fate Zero. She's Saber in the Ufotable Fate series. Yes. Okay. Because okay. Yes. Okay. She's, she's, uh, she's, she's in both Fate Zero and Un Unlimited Blade Works. Okay, yeah. Uh, she's a crazy chicken. Eureka 7. I'm not going to be able to pronounce her name right. Okay. Yeah, I, I know who you're like, talking about. The, the mech it's, pilot. It's like, it's like animator... It's like animator. Oh, oh, I think it's like uh, anemone. Anemone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah, the yeah, pink, yeah. she's the pink-haired girl who gets with that guy at the yes. end. I, I've not seen the yes. show fully, but I know that much. Um, yes, it's been a while since I've watched some of the show. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So thoughts on these? So, uh, straight <laughs> up, I'm really excited because for the longest time. Laura Bailey was, like, straight up one of my voice acting crushes, and I've never actually had an opportunity to talk about how amazing she is on this show. Laura Bailey's amazing and, like, honestly, like, one of my favorites, like, was one of my old favorites before I started doing dub talk and discovering some new talent and impressive people in the broadcast dubs I cover. But no, uh, she's fantastic as uh, Dragon Kid. I really liked... The episode where it was basically about... It's about her basically trying to be this badass tomboy. Doesn't really give a shit about who she is, her family, or like trying to even appear like feminine. Which to her is something she's sort of ashamed of. But then it's like she eventually grasps onto this and she's like, I like my roots. I like my family. And I'm okay with the fact that I'm a girl that can kick ass because she's, she's the only one that can take care of the crying child because everybody else is stupid and incompetent and can't have children. Even the actual dad. I'm about to say, especially the actual dad. <laughs> Which to be fair is kind of telling for later on in the series, but that's another thing. I really like Dragon Kid a lot. Laura Bailey has a lot of spunk but also a lot of charm to this character as well. I really like every time she's interacting with the other characters and 
she stuck out to me a lot. Uh, John, at, what you, his name is John Bertany? John Eric. John, John Eric. John Eric. John Bentley, John Eric, John yeah. Bentley uh, is, how do I describe him? Uh, <clears throat> fucking fabulous. God damn, work it. That's, uh, okay, okay, no, no. The correct part is he's flaming. <laughs> now that was bad. You go yeah. in a corner and think about what you've done. Do not come back until you've discovered what you have done. And you start clapping in the corner. Go into your other corner. Jairus. And you think about what you've done. Jairus, I want you to know I'm so proud of you right now. <laughs> I've trained you well. I've trained you well. It Get was... the fuck out. Anyways, uh, he's he's a he is a character and a half with... Uh, this particular character, uh, it is a very, like, flamboyant, like, you know, typically, like, stereotypical homosexual character, but I think Fire Emblem, I can't get over that this character's name is Fire Emblem because I love the Fire Emblem series so much, that's amazing, <laughs> it still trips me up, but no, Fire Emblem's a very interesting character, I didn't expect to like them as much as I did, but they're kind of badass when they... Uh, get to their action to fighting. Uh, Fire Emblem's really cool. The fire, the power of fire is really cool. So anytime you can work with that, it's really cool. Also, there's like a there's I think there's a sequence or two in the Jake Martinez thing where he actually drops the act of doing the flamboyant voice and actually sounds really gruff. It's like oh god damn it. I was like, yeah. No, 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 like, he does a few odd things when he, like, put his car against the story, and that was really funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That did happen. Mm. Um, now, yeah. Blue Rose. He's eating right now, aren't you? I'm sorry, I had fries. Anyways, Blue Rose. This was a character I thought I wasn't going to like at first. I thought she was going to be a little too stuck up or, like, too professional, but. No, she's really interesting. Like, I like the struggle of, like, that she wanted to use the hero thing to promote what she actually wanted to do. But she eventually comes around to the actual position of being a hero and really, ironically enough, warms up to the idea. Which, she's funny and she's really interesting. And I actually kind of enjoy the romantic subplot they gave her. Cause at first you you applied you applied like this was going to be so much worse than I was thinking she was gonna go full on Yandere stalker or something kind of like the guy at her concert ironically enough but no it's just like a one sided schoolgirl crush and it's adorable and like I genuinely see her warming up to the idea like you figured oh she would have thought Barnaby was hot no she's into uh more mature men. And I thought that was really interesting, uh, yeah. which and then like and then you okay the book <laughs> the book fucking had me on my ass laughing. A hundred and one ways to seduce a single father, like holy shit! <laughs> I'm not even mad. I respect the quest for the dick. 
character development compared to um, Fire Emblem and Rock Bison. Dragon Kid kind of ended up going into the background a bit. So with Laura, I thought Dragon Kid was fine. She really did get to shine um, during the episode with the mayor's baby, the mayor's kid. And I thought that was very enjoyable. But she kind of ended up going into the background after that and it's not too memorable to me. John Eric Bentley. Ooh, sweet baby Jesus. It was, ah. Oh. I wasn't sure about this performance at first, because obviously this is the first time I'm hearing um, John Eric Bentley before, but <laughs> going into it and watching him go for like 20 minutes was probably some of the most amusing things in the world. But um, I did enjoy the performance. It was very flamboyant and very out there, and it was, just a lot of fun and can I just say because again I finished this series what is it now maybe a couple hours ago now and at the end when Fire Emblem becomes the new drinking buddy of Rock Bison and he kind of pinches his butt at the bar <laughs> I'm sorry that that was great I loved that and Travis's reaction to it was just perfect for having his ass pinched. It was great. Um, as for Kari, uh, or uh, should I say our Selena Kyle ripoff here, um, Kari Walgren, she, I think among like the secondary heroes that we see here, she generally has the most screen time out of all of them. Not I would just... almost say she was a primary hero. Almost, I would say, yeah. Because... Not only did she get the shine during her development episode where she's going back and forth about what she really wants to do, she, probably because partially because of that love subplot and maybe a few other factors in there too, she kind of becomes a larger role and seeing Kari go through those motions that um, Karina, Blue Rose, gets to go through is very, very intriguing and interesting. And I, I'll admit, I do miss, I miss Kari Walgren in anime. Oh cause... god, I just finally got it! Karina Lyle, fuck! You didn't realize this when we introduced <laughs> the character? No, we actually! We were talking about it. We were talking about it when we first talked about the character. Oh my god. 
Wow. <laughs> For, okay, no, okay. Here, here's where my mind went. I thought it was a reference to uh, one of the Green Lanterns whose name, oh. whose, like, his, his name was Kyle something. And no, I only got the reference when I was looking at my list and I saw her actual full name and I'm like, fuck, this is a Selena Kyle reference, isn't it? Okay, real talk. <laughs> I, my mind went a weird place. I thought it was a reference. Your mind always goes no, in a weird place. Even weirder this time, because I thought it was a reference oh, to that Green oh, Lantern. Oh boy. Because of the fact that like his the fa the infamous scene with that Green Lantern is that his girlfriend is basically like found in a refrigerator. So I assumed that was where the cold reference and the ice powers came from. Ooh. Uh, yeah, no, that's a weird thought. I don't know. I feel that bad. That is a weird thought. But um, anyway, I did like Kari's performance here as Blue Rose. I think the only problem I have is the whole love subplot thing. Yes, it seemed adorable, but I'm also coming off of Go Sick 2 at the same time. Because how I want... Because I, I had to record both these, and both of these are two core shows. So... I went from watching the first half of Gosick to the first half of Tiger and Bunny to the second half of Gosick to the second half of Tiger and Bunny. So I was watching them simultaneously, basically. And I wasn't a fan of the whole romantic subplot, but that's only because of the whole, um, because this episode, because the Gosick episode will probably be out by now. I wasn't a fan of the whole Marquis de Blua. Cordelia situation and cause th the, uh, th at least two of you motherfuckers are with me on this one <laughs> okay, okay okay no I thought you were going to say like the whole Avril situation it's, no. I thought that's what you were thinking of <laughs> let's, okay, okay you're, um, let, let's, let's keep... you're going to have to film me on this one cause I'm let's keep, let's, so let's, we... okay let's keep the biases so of the other show no, here's it's that's that's my that's my issue with trying to do both shows back and forth. That's more on the my fault and my problem with it. Um, so basically, roots for spoilers here. I so, don't get it. So Marquis de Blua is Victorique's father, and Cordelia is Victorique's mother. So essentially, how Victorique came into being. Marquis de Blua kidnaps Cordelia, essentially rapes her, and then we have Victorique. Uh, and guess, guess who plays these? I didn't. And guess who plays these fucking roles? And it's great. Okay, oh, Steph. No. Steph, I I'm going to actually interrupt you and say, what the fuck does this actually have to do with Blue Rose? I don't know. <laughs> My brain went to weird places. This is okay. I, I don't. <laughs> again, th again, this is more on. Again, this is more on the fault of me watching both these shows side by side. Basically. That's my fault and my brain adjusting to to these different that's, shows. Okay, that's so, on me. Uh, it's not the fault of the show. That's just me watching this and Gosick at the same fucking time. By the way, Marquis de Blue is David Walden. Cordelia is Elizabeth Maxwell. You're welcome. Uh, okay, that was uh, a diversion. So while we get, but, so while we get Steph's mind out of the game. But bottom line, words. bottom line, <laughs> I did enjoy all three of these performances. Um, and for me, between the three, I would say the standout, standout, probably Kari Walgren between these three. And then unfortunately, cause again, um, 
after her like character development episode, Laura Bailey just unfortunately kind of fades into the background a bit more. So. Yeah. Now. Now. Okay. Uh, so. Okay. Thoughts, Roots. All right. So more or less going in order from weakest to strongest. Um, I would probably agree with uh, with Lilac on those points. Um, Laura Bailey as Dragon Kid was excellent, but it's a shame that she just doesn't do much after her character development episode, which is unfortunately really early in the show. Yeah, it is. Like, it is within the first, what, six, seven episodes? Yeah, about that. Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. And then she's just shoved into the corner, and not a lot is done with her after that. Um... Second of which is um, John Eric Bentley as Fire Emblem. I like the performance. I'm a little weirded out with the gay stereotype, but... Oh, it is very that's hard. That's not... It's very stereotypical, honestly. That's not on the dub actor, though. He's just going off of what he's got. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's more, yeah. That's more on the fault, probably, of the character itself, if anything. Right. Yeah. But, um... I do need to get to uh, Tiger and Bunny the Rising. I wanted to have that taken care of before the episode, but I just didn't have time. Okay, Mainly what because... what what is this character's deal in the yeah, Rising? Yeah, what is his story anyway? And, and I, okay, um, I actually have seen the Rising. Okay. Um, that's, okay. Uh, so uh, without going into details on the actual plot of the movie, okay. Uh, so there's a bit in the episode where, um, okay, where we're showing a little bit of. Uh, Fire Emblem's backstory. Uh, so, okay, um, okay, so, uh, long story short, it's just, like, his parents finding out about, like, um, his whole sexuality and uh, how he had to, like, struggle with that. Okay. It's, it's pretty interesting. Okay, so there actually is a subplot about him dealing with his sexuality. That's interesting. Okay. Okay, okay that is interesting. Yeah. yeah, I've I've heard that it does a lot in favor of Fire Emblem's character. I really wish okay. I had yeah. Would have been nice to see that in the show, but okay. Yeah. I mean cuz yeah. it's it's very it's like probably at least back in the early 2010s or so cuz this show was 2011 if I remember right. Right. It was probably yeah. very rare to see anime go into like homosexuality and these kinds of characters and their stories. So I can appreciate them going Sunrise in particular too. I can appreciate them like taking that risk at the time and going into that like in full force, honestly. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think uh, I think Rising was what, 2014, 2015? Um Rising was probably twenty fourteen. We got it around twenty fifteen. How much okay, you wanna okay. how much you wanna bet regarding the particular fandom this show's accumulated that Fire Emblem has like zero Fan art or dojin. As, 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 uh, uh, Fire Emblem is actually a pretty popular character. Okay. Okay. Uh, nice. Good. Oh, good. Okay. Um... Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like I don't think there are too many. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted you there. I was just genuinely like. Oh no! 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 Yeah. No. I, don't worry about it. Um, I do really like the fact that he that he kind of dropped the persona in the uh, in like the. The big robot suit episode. Oh yeah, I lost my car. Sh- I lost my shit at that. I was like, oh wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> it they, shows that they he destroyed is my car. Yes. Yep. That was great. <laughs> but um. Uh, 
Moving on to Kari Walgren and Blue Rose. I actually do really like her arc. It is a little weird considering she's in high school and she's kind of pining for the, uh, for the divorced dad. I, I'm sorry, not divorced dad, widower. Okay, yeah. it, okay, two, two takes, yeah, like, two takes, yeah, two takes. Like, I mean, I mean, I don't know, I mean, it might help if we do a contestant's actual age one, but it's To be fair, one, <laughs> you really don't help who you crush on. Like, that's something yeah. you can't really control. Second of which, it's really genuinely like a schoolyard, like, schoolgirl crush. So it genuinely it's... is pretty, like, ineffective. I mean, no, 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 no. Let, let's, let's, look at, let's, look at it, let's look at it this way, Roots. It's not a Tsukigakure situation. You know what I'm talking about when I talk about Tsukigakure. Oh, absolutely. But here's the thing. Yeah. Like, it doesn't end as a crush, though. In yeah. the very last episode, <laughs> yeah. she has how to, yeah. how to woo a single dad. Yeah. She has that book in her hand. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it, the girl is thirsty. She's thirsty. <laughs> if only there was if there was only a way you could quench that thirst. Oh wait! Pepsi next. For when you gotta deal with the unending urge to bang a single dad. God damn it, Andrew, go in the corner. Disclaimer, we're not actually Take my hip blast. Get a I'm already the in the corner. I'm so far Go in the corner, a... there's no <laughs> escape. Take my, take my <laughs> flask. You've earned it. Just just drink no, it. No, don't encourage him. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't need it back. You, uh, can, you can keep Jet, it. Jet, please episodes. go. Jet, end our right, misery. All right, I'm going to go. But, um... Okay, um... I'm sorry. But in all seriousness, um, Kari Walgren's performance was absolutely spot on. She got sort of the... You know, the confusion of a teenage girl not only going through a crush, but trying to figure out her life going forward, her heroism, her singing career. Like, she is... She's a renaissance woman, and it, it's really great that Kari Walgren was able to show that. Okay, alright, so I'll go. Yes. Right, so, like, okay, so, like, Travis again. this is one of Laura Bailey's first Kylie anime roles outside of, like, your Naruto and your Bleaches. And uh, while she was mainly just doing her usual thing here, Laura Bailey's usual thing is pretty much always great. And she was great here. Uh, she did a really great job of making Dragon King come off as endearing. Even if I actually kind of thought her, like, solo episode was the weakest out of the ones all the heroes got. Uh, but anyway, I really like Dragon Kid. As uh, far as John Eric Fetley goes, uh, for his first outing, I thought he did a great job at Fire Emblem. I particularly liked how, uh, similar to the Japanese tracks that I have seen in Joe and Japanese, I really like how he kind of spoke in falsetto most of the time, and then he, like, dropped a few octaves whenever Fire Emblem got really angry about something. So I thought that was really great in terms of comedy. And I also liked the character for the most part. I mean, I thought the earlier episodes went kind of back and forth on how much of a stereotype he was supposed to be, uh, but eventually they found some kind of decent middle ground, like, towards the middle of the show, and just, like, letting Fire Emblem be the mafia group, and I thought that worked pretty well. Again, like you guys already said, it kind of sucks the character didn't get a solo episode in the show, but we have the second movie for that, I guess, so I suppose it pans out. And then Blue Rose, that poor, poor girl. Oh, boy. So okay, so I gotta say that between this episode and covering Avril for covering Avril for Gosick, 
this has been a really bad week for girls with other friends on this show. Because <laughs> you, so you know that's never going to pan out. You know, no, it's I, don't, I don't think this one was as bad as Gozik. I don't think this one was as <laughs> no. bad as Gozik. Because Avril got friend zoned so bad. By the ocean! Bad. <laughs> I don't get it! I know you don't. That's why I don't want to talk about it any further. Dude, yeah. bottom okay, line, okay, watch Gosick. You have to. I don't get it! <laughs> okay, uh, okay, so bad jokes aside, I really like her a lot. I really dug the whole contrast between the whole seductive persona she has to play on stage versus the kind of normal team she is in real life. I could really feel for her when it came to how much she hated the idea of having to put on that kind of performance just to sell herself as a singer. Oh, oh, And it God. was really nice to see... I, I'm sorry, go uh, ahead. I just I just came to a realization. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, so, anyway, it was really nice seeing her eventually kept in terms of being a hero for, like, heroism's sake. And I really liked her whole dynamic with Kotetsu and how he inspired her, even if her crush was pretty much due from the start. And I thought Kyrie Walgood did a pretty great job with just about all of her material here. And it really reminded me of why she's one of my favorite actresses because she got the character so quickly that after a while it didn't even feel like performance. It felt like I was watching an actual person. Mm, and, when yeah. he, and, when he could pull, and when he can pull that sort of thing off that effectively, it really speaks to how talented she is. And uh, yeah, she was great. That's basically it for me. Okay. Okay, so I was going to mention this as I was talking about Blue Rose. But I completely forgot about it. Okay, what? Episode 13? Thir- 14? I-, I think it's 14. It's 14. Okay. The the one where she's training uh, yes, it's Kotetsu and Barnaby. Right. To, for the, to do the for dance. The single, yeah. Like, that was a really good episode. And in particular, yes. the, um, like the revelation when the creeper dude is in her costume and she's freaking out. Like, that was great. The towel. Yeah. The, the towel. towel actually becoming a plot point later. That's great. It, yeah. It, like, it she, like, oh yeah, she was like one of the ones that actually believed him even though she lost her memory. And I yep. thought that was really sweet. That was great. Uh, okay, well I've said my piece. Well. Let's talk some dudes. Well, let's talk some bromance. fan art. This section's bromance. a little cold. And fan art of Dude. This section's a little cold, <laughs> yeah. but I think we can put it on hold. Yep. Okay, yep. Andrew, it's, yep, it is... I fucking hate you. <laughs> okay. You son of a bitch. I try. I love you when have my backup blast now. Okay, so yes, it's finally time to get to the characters who lost 8,000 fan arts and who are pretty much the reason why this show became so popular. We have our two lead characters, Kotetsu T. Kaburagi, a.k.a. Wild Tiger, and Barnaby Brooks Jr., who has no uh, He decided to just use his real name. He has really pretty eyelashes. Hey, um, can he we has long eyelashes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh, Barnaby is new to the hero scene, and he has dedicated his life to fighting crime. I gotta find out. In order to out. one day track down the criminal responsible for killing his parents. In other words, he is basically just a less sexy version of Batman. No! No! <laughs> you're wrong! He's a sexier version of Sasuke. Shut no, the no, fuck Batman. up! <laughs> We're no, not there! Not 
No, he's not Sasuke. He's Batman. <laughs> he's Batman. Let's face it, it's fucking Batman. <laughs> okay, Don't uh, so Kitsuchu, Okay, so Kotoku, on the other hand, is a veteran hero who's kind of down on his luck as his popularity is fading, and he finds himself thrust into a partnership he doesn't really want in order to stay relevant. So, playing Barnaby, we have Mr. Yuri Lowenthal, and playing Kotetsu, we have Wally Weir. Which is probably the first time we're ever talking about these gentlemen. Yes, indeedy. Um, so, Yuri Lowenthal is a pretty well-known name, and he has a ton of credits across anime, games, and works with animation, including Yosuke Hanamura from Persona 4 The Animation, Simone from Gurren Lagann, Chidra Kiritani from Derara, Ben Tennyson from the Ben 10 franchise, and, of course, everyone's favorite evil boy, Sasuke Uchiha from the Naruto Your franchise. favorite! <laughs> uh, Wally Wingert, on the other hand, isn't as well-known, but he's been in anime and watching animation for a long time. And you've heard him in roles such as Bronco from Zatch Bell, um, Amshell from Blood Plus, Bonchu Leomon from Digimon Data Squad, Ant-Man from Avengers Earth's Mightiest Hero, and, of course, Reggie Barai from I didn't know he was Amshell. Fuck. Okay. That's cool. So. Yeah. <clears throat> where to begin? Where to begin? Um. Boy, I know I was saying the Sasuke thing. It's like, I was only partially kidding, but he does a really good job at being this charismatic, cool, pretty boy, sexy figure but also really genuinely troubled, angry, and enraged at what the hell happened to his parents. And that's something that sticks with him for the whole show. And, ah, oh, jeez, indigestion. Ugh. Oh, that's gross. Anyways, I think that Barnaby is a very interesting character throughout. I It took me a while to get used to him. I thought he was just going to be like, I'm tired of your shit, old man man but he really grows into the partnership like start of the second half and it's genuinely kind of cool and you can tell he's genuinely hurt at the idea of kotetsu leaving him when he needs him and i like their dynamic uh, it's like it's a buddy cop movie in a sense these two are basically a buddy cop corporate superhero movie and it's fantastic i think yuri does a standout job. He's really good at being emotional as well as kind of being a comedic goof at times when he wants to be. But if you really want to talk goofs, let's talk Wally. Because holy shit, he is basically the wacky, kooky dad of everybody. But he genuinely is a has a kind heart and is a total badass. I was genuinely... I don't hear him ever in anime, but Wally does a exceptional amount of effort and ability to manage to get Kotetsu Kaburaki to come alive as a person to me. And that says a lot. The dynamic between these two is what sells this show. Maybe for different reasons for some, but absolutely what sells this show is these two characters. And I absolutely can certainly say that both of the English voice actors carry it just as well. Okay. And uh, here we are with another Izetta situation, but this time it's Lilac looking for <laughs> porn. Wait, <laughs> oh, not Andrew just, this time. Wait, wait. No, legit, legit, I just did a Google image search just of Tiger and Bunny. Nothing porn related. And I'm just looking through just to find, like, random OTP shit with just the basic thing. 
basic search, I find a goddamn image of Rock Bison and Origami Cyclone what? making out. I'm not shitting you. <laughs> it's a ship, apparently. Did, did those two ever talk? <laughs> that like, one doesn't even like, make what sense is this? No, it doesn't make sense. But some of, I'll admit, some of the images of um, Potetsu and Barnaby are kind of adorable. I'm just saying. I, I can see steps. I'm okay with this bromance. I can see this bromance being a thing. But the rock bison recovery cyclone one just surprised the shit out of me. I had to type it, and now Roots brings it up. My bad. Okay. I'm sorry. That was funny. <laughs> It is. You know we what? do have it. No, was it's funny because it's you this time and not Andrew. It's in a Zeta slash Love Live situation. I'm the fucking yeah, delinquent. Yeah, no, because no, you did. It's in a Love Live situation because the Love okay. Live shit was funny too. No, no, no. This is something I would expect from Megan. Not from exactly. Me. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Okay. Okay. We gotta get this I, shit back I'm, on We gotta get course, this shit back on I'm sorry. I'm sorry, boys. I'm just, I'm just Steph. full of surprises. Steph. I'm sorry. Steph. What? Since what? you're already in the mood to talk about dudes being bros, let's segue to you. What'd you think of these two? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I gotta put my phone down. Hold on. <laughs> Okay. Yes, please. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was I was just like I got I sometimes like curiosity gets the best of me. I'm sorry, guys. This is why I'm single, everyone. Um let, whew, give me a second. So of course we don't get to talk about these two ever. Which is very interesting. <laughs> it, it took me a, like half of the first core to realize who Wally was. I'm like why does his voice vaguely sound like Renji from Bleach? I look it up. Oh, fuck. It is him. <laughs> and then... That was like, great realization, Steph. Good job. And then Yuri Lowenthal is Yuri Lowenthal, for God's sake. But, um... Both of them, I really enjoyed them. Um, especially Wally, because... This is probably one of the very few times we actually see him in a leading role. And for him playing Kotetsu... Because... Let's face it, Kotetsu's not the best hero in the world. <laughs> He's also not the best father in the world. But he does have this heart of gold, and he really wants to do his best in order to be the kind of hero that people can look up to. S similar to him looking up to Mr. Legend, because kind of going back, we brought it up a few times, Kotetsu's story, to some respect, ends up paralleling Mr. Legend's because Kotetsu, um, throughout the course of the second half of the series, he starts slowly losing his powers. And it's very interesting to see that progression um, and Kotetsu's struggle to figure out what he's going to do, especially once he does lose his powers entirely. And l legit... I would have been, my thing is, I would have been fine in the end if Kotetsu did retire, but it also would have been against his character for doing it. So I have mixed feelings about the end because Kotetsu ends up coming back. Um, he he unretires. He pulled a Mamano, uh, he pulled a, um, not a Mamano Hisoda, uh, hi, uh, Miyazaki. He pulled yep. a Miyazaki. <laughs> he came out of retirement. <laughs> 
Um, but in this, but instead he joins the B squad, and he just changes the name to Wild Tiger in a minute, which is a really stupid name, by the way. <laughs> but um, seeing Wally not only as a lead character for for probably maybe one of the first and only times, um, but also watching him portray Kotetsu as this lovable goofball with a heart of gold who may not be the most responsible person in the world and watching his progression throughout the course of the show itself was very intriguing and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, Yuri Lowenthal, in his case with Barnaby I mean Jet, you're right, he's a sexier Batman in a sense No, I said he's less a sexy less Batman. sexy Batman, he, one of the two um Still, Barnaby's rather attractive, just saying. But, um. <laughs> no, ha- have you seen Bruce Wayne? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Which one? Too many. All of them. <laughs> All, All of them. <laughs> Everyone. No, um. Seeing Yuri Lowenthal. Yuri Lowenthal, to some extent. I'm sorry, he was playing Sasuke all over again. Yep. But that's not the fault of Yuri. That's the fault of Barnaby's character. For being so similar in the whole revenge plot thing, similar to Sasuke and Naruto. But I'm thankful and glad that Yuri did not play it as emo as he did with Sasuke. And to be fair, I stopped watching Naruto years ago, and I still remember what Yuri Lowenthal sounds like as Sasuke. It's not my favorite thing in the world. And because I know Yuri Lowenthal can make can bring outstanding performances, this may have not been my favorite because I think Wally may have outshined him as Kotetsu. But at the same time, it's one of those things where it's I feel like it's the fault of Barnaby's character in in general that causes this problem. But I did enjoy Yuri Lowenthal as Barnaby. He plays the stoic well. He does really well with the revenge plot, of course. And then the when we were talking about banter and how much we enjoyed the banter very early on in the episode, most of the banter, of course, comes between Kotetsu and Barnaby. And I think that's probably the highlight of the show in general is just these ban- this banter back and forth. Because, Andrew, you're right. This is like a buddy cop movie with these two. And it's very interesting with their dynamic and their relationship, just seeing it grow from basically hating each other, not wanting to work with each other, to be, to now, by the end, becoming good partners and essentially best friends you, and yes. playing off each other so well. I think it's a very good progression. I loved how that relationship ended up. Um, but yeah, I think both Wally and Yuri played these roles very well. I just think probably my favorite performance has to go to Wally. Because I just got so much enjoyment out of him as Kotetsu, and I just, I really wish that he gets, like, major lead roles more often. I'm very sad about this now, I I, I did enjoy it. I like how you stuttered where you're like, at the end of their relationship, they became good friends. Good friends. That wasn't on purpose. I know it wasn't, but the fact that you... I was trying to collect my thoughts. I mean... Okay, man, because when you think of that, you really have to think about how romantic that almost death scene was. <laughs> hey, I, 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 I understood. Long eyelashes, Barnaby. You have long eyelashes. 
That is the moment when that ship sailed. That is the moment when that ship sailed. When Kotetsu complimented his long eyelashes. I'm sorry. That is when that ship sailed. Maybe the ship. Maybe see. Maybe if there's ever any more, it's going to be like that one internet image where it's just a blue rose holding Kotetsu's hands. Like this is my boyfriend Kotetsu. This is Kotetsu's boyfriend Barnaby. <laughs> oh my god, this needs oh to be uh, Make uh, that a was, thing, uh, fan really artists. Go! Uh, man, it was go. really funny watching. I gotta say, it was really funny watching this show week to week back when it was simulcasting because, like, there was a whole week where everyone was genuinely not sure if Kotetsu was dead or not. So. <laughs> oh, yeah! His life signs were gone because his suit was destroyed! How did he live, by the way? I, no, no, no. I don't know either. But here's the funny thing that made it great. When when Kotatsu was like, did you even check my pulse, dude? <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> and Barnaby didn't bother checking his pulse. He was kind of busy dealing with asshole named Maverick over there in the corner. So He didn't have time to check your pulse, Kotatsu, to make sure you weren't dead. Oh, that's I'm sorry, I'm back on my phone again, don't mind me. Okay, while she's looking up the art, who wants to go next? <laughs> uh, All of the art. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm up. Alright. Um, yeah, so I guess the key word of this episode is banter. Yes. <clears throat> banter, banter, banter. I, I gotta give a lot of props to the scriptwriters for this one because, you know, actors are only half of the story. Uh, the writers and the directors are also the other part. And the two of them feel really, really well coordinated. It differs from the Japanese quite a bit because, you know, English doesn't flow the same way Japanese does. You kind of have to alter things around, especially when things need to be comedic. But, um, they are easily the best part of the show. Just, just Barnaby and, and Kotetsu not necessarily trying to get along. In fact, in the first, I would say, like, up to the last fight of of the first half. It wasn't until, like, he really was pushing himself out of the hospital to try and help him where they really started working yeah. together. Like, they were... Yeah, yeah, no, like... They were in an absolutely antagonistic relationship until the Jake Martinez incident. And then, yeah. oh... And, uh, um, no, no, it's, that's, that's not quite right. Like, uh, Barnaby was... Slowly started to warm up to him after Kotetsu took a bullet for him for with the whole lunatic thing. Yeah, that's uh, but true. yeah, they didn't like really start coming together until they pulled Jake Martinez. Yeah. Um, so and then they they really start getting along, and then Maverick comes along, throws a wedge between them. Like the dynamic between the two characters, even within the show itself in Japanese, is great, and I love that. Yuri Lowenthal, Wally Winger, they were able to come together and kind of one-up the uh, the Japanese voice actors on it. Mm-hmm. Man, I like how I like how Barnaby is sort of Sasuke, but 
like a little more likable even in the beginning when he's supposed to be a jerk and towards the end when he's kind of going through the emo phase of course he's more likable he's not trying to be cool he's trying to be hot <laughs> fair. fair and then you've got kotetsu on the other hand like he fails at everything he's not very good at being a hero he's not very good at being a dad but he tries and that's the important part of his character he knows he's kind of screwing up but he wants to be better and I like how the English voice actors were able to kind of hit on that. Okay. Uh, so are those all your thoughts? Yep. Or? More or less. Take the okay. stage, Jet. Okay. Um, so like with Liam O'Brien being lunatic, I had wanted either Yuri Lowenthal or Johnny Unbosh for Kotetsu, so I was very happy that I ended up getting what I wanted here. I really like how Yuri Lowenthal plays up the whole suave, pretty boy facade that Barnaby plays up versus the lonely child he is underneath, because he is basically a lonely child deep down. And while it's easy to say he's just playing another variation of Sasuke, he gets to play display a lot more emotional range here than he ever did with Emo Land, and it's some of his finest work, I thought. And uh, as far as Wally Wiggett goes, uh, my whole experience with this casting choice was very interesting. Okay, to give you an idea of how old this show is now, okay. back when Biz was a villain to dumbcast, I was seriously expecting Troy Baker to be Kotetsu and, uh, <laughs> good luck trying to get Whoa, Troy Baker Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, uh, so I hadn't ever really watched the movie stuff back then, so I didn't really know much about Wally Rupert as an actor. And, uh, at first I wasn't sure how good of a fit he would be because, um, Kotetsu Seiwa Hiroaki Hirata, who you might know as the Japanese voice of Sazi from One Piece. Uh, he has a very deep voice, and Wally Winger does not. Uh, so I wasn't really sure if he was going to be able to play up the whole, like, tired, middle-aged man as well as he did. Uh, but when I actually got to listen to the actual performance, I was really blown away by how much personality he brought to it. Like, he got across every ounce of Kotetsu's goofiness, and he was just an absolute right to listen to. Like he and he was just a struggle when it came to like all the really somber moments, and while I do think his Kotetsu sounds a little younger than Hirata's, I feel like his performance is just as effective. And for an actor I wasn't very familiar with beforehand, uh, what I got here was pretty much about as soccer first impression as you can really get. Uh, but of course, what really works is Yuri and Wally's about Yuri and Wally's performances is how well the two of them play off of each other. Uh, like, the chemistry between both of their characters and their performance styles feels completely unbelievable. And, uh, one of the things that I really appreciated about the voice directed for this show is that, uh, Jamie Simone actually mentioned during a comp panel that he actually went out of his way to make sure the performances matched up as well as possible. And, like, he would actually bring them back to re-record lines if one of them delivered, like, a joke or a heavy moment a certain way. And you can really feel the results because these two just play off of each other really effectively, like, pretty much all the time. And these two performances, they're really the heart and soul of the show. And with and even with how good of an ensemble we got here, like these two gentlemen just really stand out. Okay. Yeah. The, we all like them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. 
so are you ready to move? By the way, I just want to say right now, I actually did decide to do the thing and just type Kotetsu Barnaby in Google. There was yes! really not... I was expecting so much worse. That was all... No, it's not, it's not bad. It's, it's pretty tame. It's, it's pretty tame. No, did you look at the Skype chat, especially at the first one I linked in there? Oh, God. It's adorable. I didn't see you linked right, any. Let's see here. It's let's so adorable. Let's see if adorable. I can Google seppuku. <laughs> no. What did you think? Okay, you know what? That is fucking cute. That is cute. That's okay. I'm so, just gonna... I'm no, just going to throw out final thoughts, just plug the, in random pairings and see if I get something good. You know what? Okay. <laughs> While you're no, doing no. that, I will give no. my final thoughts on can I, can I just Can I just explain the image I'm refer I, I linked to? So the image I linked to is um, it's basically of Kotetsu, Barnaby, and Kayade. And um, Ko <laughs> Kotetsu is like trying to tackle Kayade and like prevent her from basically tackling Barnaby and hugging him. But in the process, Barnaby runs into, like, a metal pole? By the way, it's another thing. Great. If they, if they do, love it. if those two ever do get together, that'd be very awkward, because it's like, uh, I had a crush, yeah. I had a crush on a superhero, and now my dad's dating him. That would be no, awkward. No, I had a, no, I had a superhero, and now he's my new daddy. <laughs> Ooh. Boy, there's an awkward story there. Anyways, now that we've got the jokes out of the way, I'm actually really glad I got to watch this series because it feels like I watched a superhero series from a few years ago and seeing what kind of media was coming of it then. You see a big focus on commercialism and you see a big deal on the reality TV buddy cop aspect, which was really interesting because I feel like My Hero Academia in a way is very much like a... Though the superheroes are civil servants of the people, and while they do still advertise and stuff, it is more like a civic duty. In a way, this is like, we need to make the money by being a hero. How do we make the money? And that's how you do it. I really think it's interesting. You've got a very good, colorful cast of characters. The dynamic between these two pretty much sells the show. And this is a really interesting dub to look back from a few years ago. Because you got a lot of interesting names, several of which you don't really get to see in a lot of current anime dubs. And I think it's really interesting. It's a whole, it's an interesting product of its time. And even the CG. I was thinking the CG was going to be really bad. The CG is surprisingly decent. The only time I ever had a problem with it was when they made all of the CG for Fire Emblem. Because that's not supposed to be a robot suit. That's just a guy. So that was weird to me. But all in all, solid show. Really fun. It's it's too bad there's a couple of stories that are left unfinished, but yeah, somebody else take it. Oh boy. Um, I guess that's me. I'll put my phone down again. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. <laughs> you guys are terrible influencers on me sometimes. <laughs> that so, was pure. No, not you, Roots. I'm probably more pointing towards Andrew and Megan and Gigi. Mostly Megan and Gigi because, you know, us ladies, we talk trash on a regular basis. I see. Get on with it! Get on with it! I'm sorry, um, I'm you... tired, no, and this is a three-hour recording the, at this point. Come to the dark side, we have pretty boys. <laughs> yes! Yes! You know, you know my pain. Um... Let's see, as someone who watched this show completely for the first time, I only knew very little about it. 
outside of like basic summary. But um, I'm very, very glad that Jet pestered me for so long <laughs> to watch this damn show. It's definitely an interesting take on superheroes in general because you have, like we've been talking about this whole time, the whole superhero thing is more of a corporate capitalist kind of situation compared to some other superhero stories where we don't have that. So that's a that's a very unique spin in and of itself. And otherwise than that, it's kind of, the show itself is kind of paint by numbers in a way um, with normal superhero shows. And that's fine. Uh, that's I'm okay with that. It's not... It's not a flawless story. It has its problems. Oh, does it have its problems? I mean, I will fully agree with Andrew. Why did they f CGI Fire Emblem? Just, just why? I, d I don't <laughs> get it. Um, but despite the flaws of the show itself, the show is still rather enjoyable. I did have fun watching it. The dub itself, because I still rarely watch California dubs and get to talk about California dubs, but um, this one was really enjoyable. It had some fun performances that I wouldn't really get to see very often from people that normally are, have, I've seen as secondary or background characters, i.e. Wally, uh, and just turned in some great performances. And the dub has its flaws too. Mo again, my big, big problem, and that's more on the part of the studio itself, Theopolis, the whole double casting situation. Because despite having characters that you can distinguish well enough, they are still voiced by the same person. And especially if you have that person with a very, very distinct voice, i.e. Vic Mignogna, it kind of brings me out of it a little. But I really love the performances. I love the script and the direction that it went into. And especially <laughs> the word of the night is banter. Especially the banter between Wally and Yori was so genuine to me and a lot of fun. So the dub in general was a lot of fun despite the flaws that I had, the problems I have with it as they are rather minor in the grand scheme of things. But I, I really like the show. I like the dub. It's not one of my favorite things in the world because generally I'm not too heavy into action series and things like this, but I still had a lot of fun with it. And thank you, Jet, for pestering the ever-loving shit out of me to finally watch the damn thing. I'm good. Okay. You are very welcome. <laughs> I'm going back to my phone. I gotta look up more of these images because I'll admit <laughs> they are adorable as shit. Okay, I guess it's my turn now. So, I get the feeling we're gonna deal with the elephant in the room when we get to Jet. Probably. So, um, uh, let me just say that I really like the dub. The show is probably show itself is probably at least in my top ten. If not, maybe the top five. Just in general. Uh, that said, I do have a lot of problems with the ending, namely all the uh, 
all the things that coincidentally went right. <clears throat> all the Deus in order Ex to, Machina uh, shit. Yeah, the Deus Ex Machina shit. Um, I do have some issue with the double casting, but that's more or less the nature of the Beast of Studiopolis. Mainly because they do a lot of things other than anime, and they just grab who they can get. <clears throat> I do, however, kind of want to bring up one other elephant in the room, and I don't think... I don't think anybody else will, so... Because of when this got dubbed, when it got released, it ended up kind of being one of those dubs that just kind of got forgotten. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, the uh, it, the history of this show in the West is uh, pretty interesting. Like, it got... Uh, faith, uh... Oh, okay. Somebody uh, talk! Um... <laughs> Say words! It's my uh, turn. It, um, it got released more or less right around the time Toonami was starting to become a thing, but it didn't end up on Toonami. Mm. In fact, I think I think Viz basically created Neon Alley as a platform to put this on to try and elevate it. Right, because this <clears> did premiere. It was one of those big premieres on Neon Alley at the time. I remember now. Yeah, no, okay, uh, in fairness, uh, Viz did go on record as trying to market the show to several TV networks, so I'm pretty sure they did try, it just never happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, Probably. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It, w it was just one of those victims of circumstance. Yeah, I wouldn't be, and I wouldn't be surprised if, uh... The uh, whole logos thing played a part in that, but uh, yeah, yeah, probably. But I digress. Jet, how did you feel about this show? Okay, um, so when Tiger Buddy first came out in 2011, I was mainly drawn to the show simply because Viz had licensed it, and it was one of the first licenses I'd seen from them that wasn't something based on a manga license they had. Uh, so I was pretty curious about it. And uh, for the very first episode I saw, I was hooked, and I knew that I wanted this to have a dub that could really stand the test of time. Something that could probably stand, you know, a lot of the likes of, you know, maybe like your Death Notes or your Combo Bebop, stuff like that. Um, so while neither the show nor the dub I've really lived on in the minds of anime fans as long as I really would have liked them to, uh, the quality of the dub is pretty much exactly what I wanted, and it really stands as a testament to what English dubs are really capable of when they fire on all cylinders. I mean, yeah, there's some problems with the multi-casting and whatnot, but I think the direction of the show really manages to minimize that as much as possible, and the script certainly does a lot to help elevate the show. Um, so anyway, both the show and the dub are very near and dear to me, and I really hope that more people check them out in the future. Alright. So... <sighs> okay, um, so before we wrap up, I suppose I should... Okay, does anyone want to plug anything? Uh, well, first of all, how how can we um how can we watch this show, Jet? That's a good question. It's, uh, it's okay, it's okay. So it's uh, from my D show on Shininess. Uh, the show is currently available in both sub and English dub on Hulu and Yahoo View, which is technically just like ghetto Hulu. And uh, you can also now watch the show on Netflix, something done, but be warned because the Netflix version does not have the logos on the suits for some reason. 
I'm just gonna take a stab and guess it's some kind of like license. I don't. Seems, seems like the most logical. Let, let's put it like this. I feel people are overreacting, thinking that ruins the show. It doesn't ruin the show. It just ruins the opening, because yeah, the opening, opening is fucking without stupid without the logos. Like that's yeah. the like you could argue like that's really the only thing it ruins. It's just anyways, you just skip the opening and then you just watch it and it's fucking fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, so does anyone have anything they want to plug real quick? Uh, you can find me over on Twitter at MangaMan9000, otherwise known as Classy Spartan. I'm also regularly lurk on the Funimation forums. I moderate the Funimation Discord, as well as I'm in a co-host on Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA Anime Podcast. Okay, uh, Lilac? Let's see. When I'm not bossing this group of rag, this ragtag bunch of humans around, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Lilac Anime Review with review being spelled R E V U uh, E. Otherwise, than that, I don't really do much because I'm either working at my real job or I am constantly working here on a daily basis. So, uh, by the way, because I'm now looking up Origami Cyclone, apparently Origami Cyclone and Sky High are an OTP that exists as well, and I found a lot more of that <laughs> than I did. Uh, 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 okay. Uh, okay, you see that? Okay, you see that one? I can kind of see it more than Origami Cyclone Rock Bison, but like. The fuck? <laughs> Maybe it's the whole Uke Seme thing with Rock Bison and Origami, but I don't know. Anyways, who who else has things to plug in? Uh, Roots. Uh, yeah, you can find me on the Twitter.com at Roots Justice. I mostly retweet pug pics, talk anime stuff, and I wear a nice decorative tinfoil hat. It, it's really snazzy. You gotta see it. It's the most decorative tinfoil hat I've ever seen, guys. Roots is his own and baked and potato. Kind of like Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> yep. God okay, and, uh, okay, and as... Damn it, I'm not, a, I'm not a baked potato. I'm a cinnamon roll. Wrapped in nice, <laughs> warm tinfoil. The best tinfoil. Okay, uh, as for me, you can find me on the Twitters and whatnot at, at DivineDega or... Yeah, uh, you can read myself on my blog, Animation Infinity. <laughs> and uh, also, I occasionally review things for the Fandom Post, not this season currently, but I do occasionally review things. Um, so, anyway, that's really uh, it for this episode. Thank you guys for stopping by. And uh, we only really have one final thing left. Alright, let's do this on the count of three, everybody. <laughs> let's do this on yeah. the count of three, okay? okay? Let me do it. One. Two, three, season, season two. When? When is season two, Sunrise? Come on, Bando Namkai. Fucking when? When is season two? Come on, Bando Namkai. When? 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 Come on, Bandai Namco. When? Damn it! Give up the goods. You can do it. You can do it. You can take a break for the idol to give us this day. You're Aww. still making products for it. <laughs> Megan no would excuse. fight you. All right. Megan would fight you on that. But yeah, when is season two? Cause legit, legit, how it ended. There's still some un like unresolved plot threads, and it's annoying as fuck. Oh, wow. when is like season two? One of the most popular anime in Japan of all times. Also, Japan. A, no, no, also no, 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 no,
Like when they did the NHK poll, it was voted the number one most popular anime of all time. It did it pricks money. No, no. Come on, also, season two. Also, Come on, friend. Apparently origami cyclone and dragon kids are things that exist. Good night, everybody. Okay, apparently just everybody's <laughs> okay, shipped kinda... with origami cyclone. That's amazing. Good night. Everybody's being shipped with him. It's great. He's a good boy. Okay. It's weird. Okay, the guy uh... pairs are the interesting ones. Yeah. Good night. Anyway, good night, everybody. Good night, guys. Night, everybody.